Let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions on Film. And uh, this, this time round, we've got a Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me. So you're going to be full on geeking out for the next two hours, aren't you? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. And it's fair to say for for this one, I'm probably just going to sit here and drink the beer. You're going to drink beer and just watch a film, aren't you, on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah, yeah. While you you chat, while you chat about it. So uh, I suppose we should let everyone first know uh, we've got a beer. Unsurprisingly, well, it's kind of part of the mo, isn't yes. it? Yes, um, and this is the Jai High, uh, and however many variants of that name. So, yeah, so the Cigar City and Formbridge collaboration. So, uh, cheers, cheers, Steve. The beer that we've both had a few times now. Mm. So, The Spy Who Loved Me is the 10th uh, uh, Bond film that was released. Is it really? Yep. That far into the, into the, the series? Yeah, yeah, that far into the franchise. So... It was released on the 7th of July 1977, so 7-7-7-7. Nice. Yeah, so the Royal Premiere was actually on that date. It was also the 10th um, film, the 10th book as well, written by Ian Fleming. So, of the of the same title, The Spy Who Loved Me. But, um, it didn't originally get published though, did it? Because he didn't like it. Yeah, so, when he um, sold the rights to his books, to Saltzman and Broccoli, it was specifically saying that for The Spy Who Loved Me, they could use only the title and none of the book. Right. Because he was unhappy with the book. Mm-hmm. So that is the only resemblance this bears is the title. Okay. So so we've got the opening scenes, which is obviously very traditional Bond. You have the gun barrel sequence. And then we have the pre, pre-theme tune scenes, don't we? Yeah, which is kind of a little bit of ahead of its time because that's... That's, that's like a thing now, isn't yes. it? Certainly with a lot of um, TV series will tend to do uh, a, a little bit and then the intros and then you're into the, the, the series. Yeah, so this this will be setting the tone for, for the film to come as well. So why... Um, because obviously we have 20-odd Bond films... How many are there? I think we're now going to be coming up to the next one is going to be 25th film. So, with that many films to choose from, why why did we specifically go for The Spy Who Loved Me? Okay, so for me, um, I think A, it's the best Roger Moore Bond film of all, I think the seven he did. And not only that, um, I also think it was one of those ones where I definitely as a kid watched the most. It was on Bank Holidays. It also, it's a... Roger Moore's a fairly accessible Bond, I think, as well, when you're first entering into the world of Bond. Um, but we've just come to the scene where, where, where we get introduced to, to, to the Russian agent, Triple X. Oh, okay. And I've always liked the way they've done this scene in particular. So we're just coming up to it. So I'll let you see, see it first of all. But yeah, I've, I've, have you got a favourite Bond film, Steve? Well, I, I was probably with you on this one. The, the, this, this, this is the one that I wanted to feature on the show. Partly for the, some of the reasons that you've said there, in, in terms of uh, it's one of those earliest childhood memory Bond films. But I, I also think there's, there's many 
real standout iconic moments in this film. Definitely. Um, and I suppose another one of those childhood things is I always remember playing with the uh, the, the Lotus toy that converted <laughs> into a, a submarine. Yeah. No, so they just had the scene where um, Agent Triple X uh, turns out to be a woman, so will be the, the Bond girl in this film. But I like the way they did the scene because they lend, led us to believe that it's going to be the guy she was yeah. with was Agent Triple X. So in another respect, still a bit ahead of its time with that as well. Yeah, very much so. Um, and not saying they did for a while, having those, those strong female characters. She's probably definitely one of the strongest female Bond characters. She's one of the more memorable ones. Definitely. Isn't she? One, one that really stands out. Yeah, I mean, I remember her. Yeah. But that, that's just because I probably had a crush on her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Barbara Baggs, um, she ended up marrying Ringo Starr. Oh, really? Yep. They met on the set of a film called Caveman in the 80s. And they got together. I think Ringo did really well. So there's a, probably a bit of a tenuous link there to, to the another whole li- live and let die. And yeah, and also <laughs> the fact that you know the Beatles is also a bit of my nerdy geek yeah, as yeah. well. Um, that watch had a lot of tape in it. Didn't it just, for such a tiny watch? Yes. That's not the most romantic thing, is it? No. You know, so we've now been introduced to Bond. So Roger Moore, this is his third outing as Bond. So we'd already had Live and Let Die and then um, my least, one of my least favourite films. Uh, the Man with the Golden Gun. Was that his first one? Uh, Living That Dies his first one. Okay. And then The Man with the Golden Gun, which I think most people agree wasn't the best film. Ru- probably rushed it a little bit, a bit too much comedy. Um, whereas, you know, this one, I think they spent a lot more time putting this one together. Love the 70s synced <laughs> music here. Yeah. And Doesn't also- exactly seem like he's in a rush going down that mountain. No. Does it? And there's a uh, you know four guys with guns and skis behind him now. Yeah. This and this this upcoming scene will playing quite a big part in the story later on. In, I think one of the things you find with some of the Bond movies now is that because we've now got them on high definition, that some of the overlay and the green what we'd call a green screen is much more noticeable yeah. than it would have been when it was first released in the 70s on a cinema screen. Yeah. Because when it was released, this was never going to be going to video, DVD, or downloads. The more you clean these things up, you start to notice those little bits. Hmm. I think on the whole, it probably stands out, but there's a few very obvious moments in the film where they're in the studio. <laughs> yeah, and I think there'll probably be some scenes later on with, with, with some of the bigger oil tanker scenes and some of that that's yeah. going to be quite obviously a model. Yeah. <laughs> so this bit here with his skin, he's obviously not skiing. Yeah. Um, a lot of the action is taking place, but the bits with Roger... He's in the studio. Okay. <laughs> and I think you can see, you can yeah. sort of tell that as well. Nice little backflip. Yeah. Not sure how much you needed to do a backflip. So, so we're on gadget count. We've got two so far, haven't we? Yeah. We've got his little ticker tape wristwatch, and he's just turned a ski pole into a rifle. Yeah. And now, this is brilliant. And the music actually stops here. And this is definitely one of the uh, iconic moments in the Bond franchise let alone this film coming up it's a long time for a film to have no sound in it yeah very brave yeah then you get the iconic Monty Norman Bond theme yeah and the Union Jack parachute which was um, originally supposed to be in a previous film, wasn't it? Yeah, it was supposed to be in there. It was actually George Lazerby's suggestion for yeah. Her Majesty's Secret Service because obviously that was set up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, but they um, they didn't have the, the tech and the wherefore to do it, so they used it later on. But what I found curious there is that um, obviously he's a British spy. 
it's a union jack but when he says um, when the, the woman in the in the ski lodge says but I need you and he says but so does England yeah really weird but he says so does England and everything else is about Great Britain yeah so I found I always found that little bit of dialogue a bit strange I assume it's probably just a mistake someone just didn't think it through yeah Some, somebody was, wasn't looking at the continuity yeah. there were they so I think this was one of the first times also that they've done um, especially short scenes to go with the theme tune. Oh, so the silhouette scenes? Yeah. But again, become quite iconic with Bond, don't they? Yeah, I don't think you could probably do a Bond film without them now. Mm. So these are the first time they actually did some specially shot scenes that aren't from any other part of the film. Also, it's the first theme tune which isn't actually titled at the same t- name of the film. Yeah, yeah. So the spy who loved me appears as a lyric, but doesn't appear as the name of the, mm. of the song. So again, there was quite a few firsts. But a very one. successful song as well. This went on to to become, didn't it? Yeah, one one of the more traditionally, I think Bond's singles, especially in the early days, were actually that bigger sellers. I think probably prior to that, I think Live and Let Die was a pretty high. I think they may have got number two in the UK. Mm. Um, but a lot of that was probably off the back of it was Paul McCartney. So he's still got a lot of Beatles fans with that yeah. one. Um, but yeah, this one went on to have success both uh, in the US and the UK, this song. The first the first really big one that I remember might have been uh, For Your Eyes Only, which seemed to, which was quite a Yeah, that was song. Sheena Easton, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and that, they were really pushing Sheena Easton then. Um, so yeah, this is obviously, you know, Carly Simon singing. So I think it's, I think it's a great theme tune. Yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. You know, straight away, I think any of the Bond songs that I hear will automatically take me back to the film. Yeah. They're so linked together. Well, it's, it's, it's become almost as, as, as big an announcement now as, as to who the Bond actor is going to be, is who's, who's got who? the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, look at, look at I mean, how amazing that one was for um, Skyfall with yeah. Adele. And it was a superb song. And the whole thing was just perfect together, and that got massive headlines, didn't it? But mm. Adele was going to be doing it. I mean, I don't know whether the artist is sought after. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I but think I think there's probably a few agents out there campaigning for their artist to be oh, the, yeah, I mean, the, the one that gets the song. That's probably a good point, actually. That's probably a good point. And I imagine there's some money exchanging hands as well <laughs> behind the scenes. But it might also because if you do think particularly about the last couple of Bond films, that they've gone with fairly big iconic artists at the time so they had Adele and Sam Smith yeah you, you, you know that they're big names yeah I think they the tend moment. to do, do that done that more recently as well I mean in the 80s we had, you know, we had Duran Duran yeah. and Aha yeah yeah who were yeah. at the top of their game when they did those tunes for, the, for their respective films so we're uh, this is um, Major Amasawa Barbara Back Triple X um, getting her her mission from General Gogol I think that's how you say the name um, this is the first time he appears. Oh, I, I, I could have sworn, if you'd asked me, I would have sworn he'd been in other other Bond films. He's in other subsequent ones after this. Oh, is he? Really? Yeah. I never knew that. So I think he's in three or four films after this, but it's the first one he actually appears in Yeah. the first time. So she's now just been told that the guy she was with in the pre-theme tune scenes has been uh, killed. He got mixed up in a British Secret Service mission. Ah, and then it's just this it's never referred to again yeah now that's a nice segue even before the term was made he, her saying I'd very much like to meet the man responsible and then we go to Bond yeah and it has to be said oh so we're assuming he was one of the skiers that Bond shot yeah I've only just made the link there's Sorry. a moment where 
probably a little bit of a continuity thing. They've all got goggles on, but when he's shot, the goggles are off his face, and you can see it's so the same guy. Him, right. But how the goggles came off his face just by getting shot in the chest is <laughs> unclear. But obviously, we needed to be able to see that happen. So this is when we see Bond as Commander Bond, and I think you know whichever the actors play Bond, they do carry off a naval uniform rather well. Yeah. You know, you think actually if I wore that. I would look like I'm going to a fancy dress party. Have they all been portrayed wearing the naval uniform? I don't know. I don't remember seeing Daniel Craig. I don't think Daniel Craig has, uh, but generally they are referred to as Commander Bond when when required for the story. Okay. So definitely um, him and Sean, Roger and Sean, definitely were the Commander Bonds. Can't remember if Timothy Dalton was, um, but that's the background. In fact, he was, uh, you know, or the background generally accepted that ex-naval officer commander drafted into the, the secret service and that's so that background has never really been explored in the films has it is that something that was there in the books I can't remember if it's in the books but I think the general background he was an orphan which is why he may, he was good for the secret service because no really family um, and also I think it's explored a little bit in like uh, the last two Bond films with Daniel Craig, um, but you know his his parents died in a skiing accident, the house up in Scotland, those kind of things were teased out in the last couple of Daniel Craig films. But I'm not sure how much more you need to do about backstory for Bond anyway. I mean, not after twenty five films and no, however many years. It's sixty two was the first film. Yeah. So you know we've survived this long without too much backstory, and sometimes it detracts from. The, the action that, I mean that they kind of gave it a bit of a reboot with Casino Royale didn't they when they bought Daniel Craig in and definitely kind of took it a little bit back to origin Bond story and yeah made him a bit more rough and ready probably a little bit more in line with some of the stuff we'd seen on TV and films like you know 24 and Bourne especially yeah. a bit more hands on as well mm. So the guy here that Bond's talking to on the uh, on the on the naval vessel is a minister, and he goes on to appear in further films as well. Because um, Bernard Lee, who plays M, um, sadly gets ill and passes away, so obviously he still needs a boss. Mm. We don't directly have a new M until I think Judy Dench comes in actually for Piers Brosnan. Oh really? Yeah, um, we just have other ministers. Yeah, turning up. So are there, are there many, with the exception of Bond himself, are there, are there many recurring characters during the, the franchise? I mean, I know Blofeld's kind of been in and out, hasn't he? Yeah, he appeared He appeared in a few films. Different actors every time. Um, so I think he paid, appeared two or three times in various films, especially during Sean Connery's time, um, and then made a bit of a comeback for the last Daniel Craig film. Not convinced it was done that well. Mm-hmm. And how much it would have meant to other people if you were fairly new to Bond. Um, obviously, on Daniel Cray, on sorry, on Bond's side of things, Miss Moneypenny, Lois Maxwell, fairly much all the way through to the um, to the end of Timothy Dalton's time. M did a lot. Q was all the way through till Piz Brosnan's penultimate film. Mm. Uh, sadly, he actually passed away shortly after filming. I think there's an iconic moment in the in the film where he um, sort of disappears through the, through the floorway and is sort of saying his goodbyes and that's not how it was meant at the time but sadly he passed away in a car oh, accident really? yeah so actually when you watch it and you know the context outside of the film it's yeah. quite, quite a poignant moment actually um, but really it's the, the, the bit of the film where 
although we don't know what's going on, we can sort of assume who the baddie is or who's going to be the villain of the piece in this film. Mm. We've got a lair, haven't we? Yeah. So this is a typical Bond trope. It's a lair of some kind. An evil lair. Yeah. And this, this one appears to be a water-based lair. And um, someone in his employment who he's not happy with has just been dropped into a shark-infested water. Okay. Down a rather impressive water slide. Yes, I mean, that bit would have been fun. Yeah. Less fun finding the shark at the bottom. Yeah. Which um, we're given, obviously, the impression that this is a shark that's quite happy to eat meat, but's delivered to it. Almost a water slide as well that's ahead of its time, because they're quite popular now, those ones where you go into a chamber and then the floor falls Yeah, away. yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, that's, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> all, to, all took their inspiration from Bond. Well, you wouldn't expect anything less, would you? <laughs> um, but yeah, so this guy here is a guy called Kurt Geiger. Kurt Geiger, is that right? I think I'm right. He plays a character called Stromberg. Okay. And uh, the other two scientists who are leaving his uh, his, his uh, lair are looking a bit nervously at the lift. Yeah, they don't really want to be getting <laughs> into that lift, do no. they? Would you? No. You've, you've just seen what it can yeah. do. I'd say stairs, please. He likes his buttons, don't he? Yeah. He's got a little control panel and, and this incredibly long table. Well, I thought that when we first saw the scene. He was at one end and, and the, the, the poor lady that's now met her demise to the shark was at the other end. Yeah. So I think this is when we start to see the um, lair in its full glory. Yeah. And I think this is probably one of the scenes you may have been alluding to earlier. Saying one of the iconic the, moments. The iconic yeah. moments, but also the model. I think the model work is still absolutely superb when it links back to, obviously, a studio moment, back to that. I mean, the, the set uh, was purposely built at Pinewood Studios for this film. Oh, really? Because the set wasn't big enough for what they wanted to do, yeah. so they purpose-built the James Bond set at Palmer Studios, which survived until the mid-80s, when unfortunately it was burned down. There was a fire at Palmer Studios. Oh, shame. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I still think it, you know, looks amazing. Henchman. You can spot a henchman, can't you? Henchman alert. Two henchmen. Oh. And look. Jaws. Jaws. Probably one of the most iconic Bond villains ever. See, I... <sighs> I class, him as, I class him as a henchman rather than a villain. So I class Stromberg as the villain. Okay. Jaws is the henchman. Because Jaws is doing it for someone else usually. So best best henchman? Oh, I would say so. The fact that he made a return. He was, he was, he was in two films, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he came in the film after this, which was Moonraker. Um, Richard Keel is the name of the guy who plays uh, Jaws. And I think he's at, his height is about seven foot six. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, Obviously, the, the, the metal teeth we see him wearing for filming, he could only really wear them for about half a minute before it got too painful. So th- those scenes must have taken quite a while to shoot. Yeah, yeah. So it was a half a minute when he could flash his teeth. And there's a few scenes where he does flash his teeth, so it's part of his yeah. MO. Um, they, they were also, I've, I've got a fact there, they were designed by Stanley Kubrick's daughter. Yeah, because didn't he got drafted in later on in the film to do um, some yeah. set design and set work as well. Um, and um, yeah, his, his daughter did get involved with that, but I hadn't realised she'd done the teeth. That's, yeah. that's quite cool, isn't it? Stanley Kubrick's daughter did Jaws' teeth. <laughs> Look, it's not a tank you can say every day. I've got some Bond facts. See, there you go, Steve. Anyway, what do you think of the beer? Uh, I mean, it's lovely. It's um, everything that you would hope uh, a, a collaboration between these two breweries and essentially what is a, I believe it's a hybrid of the, the, the ingredients of the two beers. And it works are. so well. Yeah. I mean, we're 
We're on record, both big fans of uh, Jaipur, and we've both mentioned before Cigar City High Lai. I was lucky enough to have some in Boston a week and a half ago on, on draft. That opportunity isn't going to come up very often. No. And no. it was tasting delicious. So, yeah, I can definitely vouch for how yeah, good this I mean, is. This is. This is a real winner. Um, unfortunately, I maybe came out just a bit late in the year. Oh, this would have been great for this that hot weather. Yeah. Ice cold, just warming up a little bit. Would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? It would have been perfect, yeah. So Bond's now in the in the desert. Okay. No, uh, no explanation for that, really. Well, I think this is his initial contact. So oh, this okay. is another British contact of his. Yeah. You'll find, especially in the uh, 60s, 70s and 80s Bond films, uh, everyone's rather well-spoken. I mean, it's the guy he's talking to is very well-spoken. Yeah. Delighted. Oh, good God. <laughs> I mean, he's like super well-spoken, isn't yeah. he? What a delightful surprise. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, this, this is uh, one of our, I would say we've had iconic moments, we've done a bit of gadget alert. Um, this is one of the the cheesy moments coming up. Um, and this is, this is where women are just casually laying around, fairly much dressed as Princess Leia was yeah. in the third Star Wars film. Um Something that happens a lot less in obviously the Bond films these days. Yeah, times of times have changed though, haven't they? Yeah, from, I mean, a, the, from a time when this was this acceptable. Was, this is the time when Carry On films were out. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, they were probably at, at some of their peak Carry On moments were from the seventies as well, with the introduction of the colour films. Yeah, I, I can't recall a moment like this in any of the Daniel Craig films as starters and probably not the Piers Brosnan one. I think probably went out with with Roger Moore. You know, this is a, a cheesy one-liner. Roger Moore was very good at delivering them though, mm. to be fair. Corny. <laughs> Should deep delve deeply into his treasures so corny and just wouldn't appear in a film today no just wouldn't appear and the same reason you 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 can't have carry on films now but you still you, Bond still delivers the one liners doesn't oh, yeah. he they're just more politically aware yes. now yes aren't they in terms of what it is he delivers so yeah so he's now in Cairo and henchmen alert. Peering through some... Yeah, so the henchmen have basically been told that anyone who's come into contact with these plans is to be disposed of, as well as getting okay. the plans back, uh, which is basically in, in relation to the su submarine tracking right. system that they were talking Because we've missed most of that because we've been yabbing over it. Oh, yeah, yeah, so sorry, everyone. Yeah, we, yeah we've no idea what's... Actually, no idea what's yeah, going on with yeah. the plot right now. Uh, I, I probably do, just based on the amount of times I've, I've watched it. <laughs> this, this is this is definitely going to be a watch-along podcast that you're going to have to go and watch this film afterwards yeah. and to, to get a, a lot of what we're saying, I think. Okay, so um, before we get into the next bit of action, I'm going to share with you, Steve, one of the beers that I, I chose. A 4.5%, uh, I think it's, yes, it's a New England IPA and it's called Clockwork and it's from Arundel, Arundel Brewery. Okay, so, so based in Sussex. Let's see what it's like. Um, I'm wondering uh, already though, based on the 
profile of the first beer we had, which is, is quite hoppy, it's quite resinous, it's got a very bitter finish. We've dropped down a couple of percent in, in terms of the ABV and we've gone to a New England style. I'm, I'm just wondering if, if maybe it's going to suffer a little bit because of that. Because of the first beer, yeah. yeah. But we were so keen, I think, to have the, the hops. from. Uh, yeah, yeah, because we're, we're obviously just, just, just back from drinking lots of stout. Yeah. See, corny again. Right, so this woman has been in the, in the film for, what, about a minute? Yeah. And it's kissed Bond for about five seconds. And are we assuming there's no backstory there, or she's just literally saw him and been completely bedazzled by him? Well, you'll, in a moment, you'll find out just how bedazzled she has become with Bond, um, which is quite, quite, you know, that's an effect. Yeah. He has uh, an amazing effect on this woman. She basically sacrifices herself and, and takes he, a bullet. And then he just throws her, to, throws her limp, dead body to one side. Doesn't even check whether she's dead. No. <laughs> this is probably one of those moments. Cheers, Steve. Cheers. Um, and this is a bit more like a Sean Connery. Because Sean was a little bit harsher with his women. And um, it's very unlike Roger Moore. Yeah. Didn't even check. Um, you know, and has a few more believable fight scenes as well. I would suggest and it's a little bit harsher in this film at times yeah and I think that's what I like about it so it's still the, the, the Roger Moore that I know, know and love um, yeah you're not going to be strangle him around the neck no he's got he's got a neck he's... the size of your thigh at least yeah this has got a very um, one of those very savoury oniony noses to it very very it hasn't got that tropical fruit juice coming off straight away has it But I do love the end of this fight scene coming up as well. So just hanging off the building, holding Roger Moore's tie. Where's Peckish? Where's Peckish? Cool. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Just swats him away. Yeah. That's good. Just yeah. swats him away afterwards. That's one henchman down. So we've already lost a henchman. We've lost a henchman. One henchman down. However... The other one's still around. Yeah. Now apparently this, um, so we're now at a nighttime scene in Cairo, and this is a thing called like a light and ma a light and sound show, but actually was in existence and still exists to this day. Oh really? Yeah. So you could you could actually go and see this. Yeah. And it's, well, I'm assuming it's telling the stories story of the pyramids. Pyramids, the Sphinx, those like again, I to use the word which we we'll use a few times is the iconic scenery you'd expect to see in Cairo but I think Cairo now is quite well built up quite close to the pyramids mm. as well now I don't think you've necessarily got all this open space where they're all just sitting down now our Russian agent uh, is, is in deep in conversation with let's face it he's there to look like he's a shifty bloke yeah <laughs> he does he looks like a dodgy dodgy car salesman yeah he's there to be shifty so again we're, we're sort of telegraphed yeah about this so I'm going to guess this is the guy that Bond was looking for Fekish okay and um, Fekish has just spotted Jaws and then makes the worst decision ever he decides what? to leave the side of the Russian agent why would you? Why would you leave a, like essentially a crowded space to go and hide and... Make it easy. Yeah. So, Bond has spotted this. He's going for a bit of a wander. And uh, 
Jaws now has an opportunity to track Fekish alone. Yeah. Where it, before he could have sat beside the top Russian agent in a crowded space, as you and, said. And waited for the entire crowd to leave and maybe got lost in the crowd. Yeah. Instead, he just made it easy for him. Yeah. You know, that, that, it was, that, this has always been a ridiculous bit for me. I mean, it's, it's still a well-done scene. Yeah. Um, but you're thinking, why? And also, we need to address the 70s fashion. Yeah, suits weren't good back then, <laughs> were they? they? They really weren't. I mean, I think it's probably quite hard to find the suitable suits for someone of Richard Keel's build anyway. Yeah. But Roger Moore did get some incredibly wide lapels during this period. I was going to say, he's got some collars on him in this, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, and there's some quality flares going on as well. Yes. Yes, even the um, the dinner suit he wears later is of similar, yeah. a similar vein as well. Um, how's the beer going, Dan? Um, I'm not. I'm a bit unsure at the moment. I mean, I'm still getting the savoury nose on it. I have to admit, and I think um, you know what? There was that question from Matt Curtis at one of your live shows you did with Mark as part of the beer clock show at Hotspur and Blank, and I think he asked a question about the proliferation and the rise of these kind of beers with this sort of oniony this isn't just like a bag of onions being yeah. opened in front of you but it has got that sort of savoury yeah. note to it doesn't come through quite so much as much for me on the flavour but I'm not really getting what I'm expecting from the New England IPA which is the fruit no it's it's very light as well it is, it is very light and it, there is it's got some decent bitterness up front uh that doesn't really last all the way through to, to the finish. It, it, it becomes that slightly sugary, cloying finish that I really don't enjoy with this style. Yeah. So Jaws is just coming out, having disposed of the guy with one bite, presumably to some important artery or vein on the neck. So I don't, yeah. think, I don't think he's a blood sucker, he just uses his teeth. To, but he's miraculously not managed to get any of that blood over. He's amazingly turquoise. Suit. Yeah, I know. I mean, I only have to have a small nose beard. I can cover, splatter myself yeah. all over. So I think Bond's now going to discover feckish lying on the floor. So the lighting, I think the lighting's done really well on this as well. Yeah. It makes it very atmospheric, doesn't it? So again, Bond's showing, doesn't really care about the shifty looking bloke. But again, gonna, not even check to see whether there's any signs yeah. of life. But I'm going to raid his bag, his jacket, check his diary. Very, very handily, he's got the name and address of the person he needed to meet. Yeah. <laughs> However, Triple X is outside waiting. Bond gets a bit more fight action and for Roger so, Moore so she comes with henchmen as well henchmen as well yeah. yeah the only person who's got henchmen is Bond so now, I never knew that she was called Triple X was that has that been mentioned yeah so um, General Gogo at the start um, again we're rabbiting over that bit um, says can, where, where is our, our best uh, I'll get our best agent onto it and then phones through to his version of Moneypenny where is triple X, agent triple X ah uh, ok at the People's Rest and Recuperation Centre yeah so I'm therefore quite interested that they got away with a whole film franchise called Triple X which was I, essentially a modern day American 
version of Bond. Well, I was always surprised about it because I did know, obviously, that she yeah. was called Agent Triple X, and I was surprised that they were that either the patent or trademark had run out, or maybe they actually checked. Um, how I'm going to have to say it because I'm not. There's no point in not saying it, how amazing does Barbara Back look as she comes into yeah. the Max Calber Club in that black dress. Yeah, she she would certainly turn a few heads if she walked into oh, to, to a room. God, would she ever? Yeah. I mean, I, I personally think she is one of the most attractive Bond girls, but I think also because she's been built as a strong character mm. as well. Is, is this them just proving that they know about each other? Exactly. Basically, they, they've read up on yeah. each other's profiles. So, there's a very interesting moment coming up here. So, a couple of things there. She ordered his drink, vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Roger Moore's Bond never ordered that drink. Had it, but never ordered it himself. He particularly didn't want to do that because it was shut to Sean Connery saying. Oh, really? Yeah. And this is the one of the few times, might be the only time, where on Her Majesty's Secret Service and his marriage to Tracy, where she got shot dead at the end, um, it's referred to. Oh, okay. She actually refers to it. So it sort of put to bed as well that whole conversation about whether 007 was just a title that's passed down or whether this is just the same person played by different actors, referring to his dead wife and Roger's reaction to it, um, I think sort of proves that this is the same, same it's the same agent. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting little bit of dialogue. And also one of those probably little bit, a moment when Roger was able to do a little bit of sort of acting, I suppose, as opposed to being Bond. Yeah. That slightly sensitive side that, again, these days, is required of nearly every lead actor or actress is to have some sort of sensitivity, mm. isn't it? Not something you often see with Bond in the old days. Sensitivity wasn't really a prerequisite. No, no. And we're getting another corny and cheesy line coming up. Just giving you a fair warning. Think you'll find the ladies' figure is hard to match because <laughs> they're, they're going to have a little bit of a bidding war, yeah, for this presumably film. Okay, these days it b- would be in the cloud or something, or no, the yeah, dark, that, that'd be a, or a the USB dark web, pen, wouldn't yeah. it, or, or something. So, but this was obviously tech at the time. Um, that's that's something that has, has been particularly iconic with Bond through the ages, is they've always. They've always included what seems to be the latest tech or the latest car. Or, f- or future tech almost. Yeah. And there was a few examples of that later on, but isn't this good? They've been able to build a scene around the fact that he's had, this guy's had to take a call and therefore has had to get up and go to where the phone is. Yeah. The phone hasn't come to him. He's had to go to the phone. And, um, oh, he's just met Jaws. Oh dear, well, that's, that's not going to end well for him then, is no, it? No, I, I suspect it's not going to go brilliantly. So he's handing over the, the film to him. Job done. However, there was obviously part two of the henchman's job detail, which is disposed of anyone who's come in contact yeah. with it. He's come in contact with it. Goodbye. Lights out. 
See, I'm glad he finished the drink. I was a bit worried. He had the drink ordered for him, and then just walked off and left it. That, was, that always bothered me. Even when I was younger, that bothered me. Yeah. And I have to admit, I mean, I, did, I think the first time I ever wore tux, 10 years ago, for a charity do, in my head, I'm Bond when I've got a tux on. I bet you are. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you're playing the theme tune as you're in, my head, along, yeah. in your head, aren't you? Yeah. I've done one of those uh, rib experiences on the Thames, and they do a Bond one. Yeah. Um, and once they be able to speed it up a bit when they're going out towards Canary Wharf, they play Bond tunes. <laughs> oh, I'm loving it. That's everything you want. Yeah. Yeah. So Bond has spotted who he thinks may be responsible for Max Calber's uh, demise. Um, you know, they could have gotten a bigger van, couldn't they? Yeah, I mean, he squeezes into it, that, doesn't It's he? like you and I get into like a mini or something. Yeah. So you've got an old... An old Mini, not, not a not, Mini not, now. Not a Mini, because they're enormous. Yeah. But effectively, this is a, what, a Ford Transit, by the looks of it? Oh, that kind of... Precursor to it, maybe, yeah. Yeah, because we were already starting to get product placement yeah. in the Bond film. So the first couple of Bond films, they had to go out and get stuff. After that, the stuff was being suggested to yeah. them, you know. So I imagine that whoever made this van, that's probably... Well, there was uh, part, part of the reading that I did about this... The, the guy that owned Lotus wanted his car in, in, in this film. So um, by all accounts, what he did was he found out where they were filming it, took all the branding off of the brand new, what, what was the brand new Lotus Esprit, and parked it outside the studio and then went off and just left it there. Oh, that's brilliant. And then when he came back, everybody was crowded around it. And all he did was open the door, got in the car and drove off. And then he received a call a couple of days later from the producers saying, we want your car in the film. Uh, sorry, I just love this bit. So she's fallen asleep on him. And he's, he's like a teenager there. Yeah. Oh, look out, I can put my arm around her. And then <laughs> a few seconds later, <laughs> she just wakes to the, up. Uh, to, to the instrumental version <laughs> yeah. of the, the, the soundtrack. The yeah, so I mean, you're right. I mean, the, and the Lotus Spree is actually, I don't know if it still is, but it was built fairly local to us. That was Norwich. Yeah, is the Lotus, isn't it? That's a brilliant bit of marketing. That is quite ahead of its time as well. Yeah, to do that. But that, that's a tease marketing campaign. Yeah, but even even now, like you say, Bond is 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 known for its product placement. Oh yeah, but it's, it's all it's all uh, especially now it's all high end stuff that you tend to see in Bond. It's although, you very rarely see him drinking a can of Pepsi. Well, <laughs> he did drink Daniel Craig's Bond drank Heineken in the first couple of ones yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, which I found a bit strange because I've never seen him drink beer. It felt appropriate for Daniel Craig in the moments he was drinking it. But yeah, Heineken appeared. So I, I would say, do we see the next Bond, whoever that is, is he going to be drinking a pint of punk IPA? I would say more appropriately, Gamma Ray or, or Neck Oil. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. If Heineken but, had got the uh, the budget. But considering that punk's absolutely everywhere these days, I mean, we're obviously, you know, coming back from Ireland, it's, it's available on the plane. It's now. available on the plane and in the 500 millilitre cans. Uh, over yeah, we saw, we saw 500 ml cans of punk IPA. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. So they've been dumped at what appears to be some old temple ruins, mm -hmm. the sort of things you would definitely expect in Egypt. I think one of these, uh, they, they filmed in two different places for whatever reason, um, on opposite sides of the Nile. And uh, I think one of them is uh, in Luxor, which I've been to before they had a lot of trouble in Luxor back in the 90s. And um, it's a fascinating place to go to, go to the Valley of the Kings. It's brilliant, yeah. really 
really good and you know go down to King Tutankhamun's tomb and half half day cruise on the Nile yeah. which I think sounds quite quite good um, but yeah they, they're inappropriately dressed currently well they're still in last night's they're, 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 they yeah. are in black tie gear yeah. and it's now hot Egyptian sunshine and how the hell did George get up there yeah and how does he know they're there yeah more he, to the point yeah why has why he why has he gone up about three what would be the of three or four stories yeah. and walking across what looks to be fairly precarious walkways? And that's clearly him and not a stuntman because he's got a very particular walk. Yes. Because of his size. Yeah, I mean there, there was a, he did have a stunt double for some of the stunts and stuff. I don't know whether this would be classed as a stunt. Probably these days it probably would not be better so health safety, well, but maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. then. No, that would have hurt. Yeah. That great big lump of rock. <laughs> See, she's just going to let Bond and him fight, and then she just goes, I've got a gun. Yeah. That's it. See? Apparently that was the only thing in her bag as she threw the purse away. Yeah. So, no lipstick, no mascara, but just I've got gun. a gun. Yeah. What every self-respecting agent should have, just a gun. Just kick it to yourself. Yeah. No, you know what he's going to do. Look. Oh. That was a very slow kick on his part as well. Yeah, but I don't think. But Richard, then he is a big man. I don't think Richard yeah. killed move fast. Now this is where Bond Bond does use brain over brawn. He knows that Jaws is going to try and whack him with a yeah. stick, so he just puts himself on the other side of, you know, the scaffolding, yeah. such as it is. Um, and again, this comment coming up, I don't think, would be used now. No, but he he mined that. Um, they while they were in Egypt, they had uh, a representative with them from the Egyptian government at all times because they were concerned that how they were going to portray the Egyptian Egyptian people. Yep. So they didn't actually want him saying that on set. So he mined it and then they dubbed it in after. I didn't know that. And apparently it was well received by the Egyptian audience. We thought it was quite funny. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think I think we've had similar things. I mean, you go, again, we've quoted the Carry On film, but things like Carry On Convenience, when they're just everyone out for changing, a wrong person changing a light bulb or something. Yeah. Was appreciated. I see, again, this is where Bond was quite clever. When they were rushing off to try and find Jaws, he took the car, he took the van keys. Ah. Uh-huh. So, just in case anyone tried to get away, he yeah. had the keys. Which and now, they now need. Yep. And the next two minutes, Bond is basically sexist about women drivers. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should just talk over that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody needs to hear that. No, it's, it's, again, it's of its time. Um, but yeah, it goes, it goes full on. Your woman driver, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> See the facial expression there yeah, as well. I think I think that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, uh, Jaws and the van. Jaws is basically winning. It would appear so. Yeah. You know, she's just reversed him into a wall, and that hasn't really. Ooh. <laughs> Even he thought that was cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> and if Roger Moore's Bond is thinking a comment is cheesy, yeah. then it probably is. And it was. But again, Bond girls didn't really get those lines. So he's, 
Is she what you would consider as the Bond girl in this? Or, but surely she's portrayed almost as his equivalent. Oh, well, she's definitely portrayed. There's very few bits where she's not uh, matching up to him. Yeah. I mean, at some point in the film, our hero, Bond, is obviously going to take the lead. I think for the 90% of the film, they're, they're equals. Mm. Um, I do love Roger Moore's facial expressions at times. I mean, he's very... State of that van. Very... I don't like this bit, though, with the clown-type music. Yeah. We can see the van is about to fall apart, but that, I think, takes you out of the film a little bit. Uh, maybe it was more appreciated in the 70s, and maybe yeah. as a kid I appreciated it, but as an adult looking, looking back... Looking back, it's not something that stood the um, test of time, is no, it? No, because it, does, it puts me into mind. I'm, I've, I've got clown in my head, the big shoes, yeah, and then everything's just going to go pop. Yeah, I suspect Bond wouldn't have known what was wrong with the, with the van. Yeah, I, I, Bond strikes me as being the sort of person that's never had to deal with a mechanical yeah. problem himself. Yeah, not th- not on cars. However, he appears to be an expert on most other things later on in the film. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, final thoughts on the uh, on the beer? Um, I mean, it's drinkable enough. Um, in ter- in terms of you know, I'm not going to go over old ground. No, I'm not a fan of the style. Um, but it's it's drinkable enough. It probably avoids some of the aspects of it that I dislike the most. It wasn't thick. It wasn't gloopy. It didn't have so much of that sugary cloyness that I associate with the beers. Yeah. Um, but the flip side of that, it seemed to not really have much of those tropical fruit notes as well. They didn't seem to be as overt. No, it wasn't like... Um, because last week, I think you bought some beers back from the States with you, didn't, yeah. didn't you? And we tried... Uh, A Trillium. Trillium double IPA. That... If, if you had put in a glass and given to somebody, for all intents and purposes, it looked and it smelt like Tropicana. Yes. And it tasted like Tropicana. Yes. It didn't taste like beer. No. Uh, at all. And it did have that sugary finish yeah. to, to it. This, is, this has got... The finish on it's a little strange. It's There's some bitterness there. It's a little bit dry. I think I think the bitterness is more of a pithy bitterness from. The, the, it's from the it's yeah. from the, those fruity notes that we're getting, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, I agree with agree with all your summing up there. Uh, but coming back to our gadget count, so Bond was able to use what looked like a cigarette case, um, which obviously every self-respecting agent would have on them, yeah, to inspect the footage of the film. Okay, so what's that? Three on the gadget count? I would say it's at least three. We we get quite a high number of gadgets coming up shortly, though. Brilliant. Um, right, so uh, beer number three, Steve. Yeah, let's 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 do it. Let's uh, let's almost match the number of beers with the number of gadgets that we're seeing. <laughs> so next up, we have. Hold on. Cheesy. So we had the bit where she said, don't worry about me. I've been on a survival course in Siberia. And he goes, I believe a many, great many of your countrymen have done the same. <laughs> and uh, he's interested in the shared bodily warmth ah. aspect of the cold weather training as well. So now all of a sudden she seems to have fallen for him. Yeah. Which is a little bit out of character. It is a little bit out of character. As you'll, as you'll see, it really was a little bit of a ploy. Ah, okay. So... Because she does know about Bond, 
and she knows that he's had many lady friends, but only the one wife. It would appear she's used that to her advantage. So she's going for her own cigarette case. Gadget. Yep. That's number four. And um, she's used one of her gadgets and basically drugged him. So she's blown something into his face. Yeah. And he's going to wake up in the morning on a boat, still wearing the suit from the night before. Okay, so he's had that on for what, two days yeah. now? So effectively, Bond is about to do the equivalent of the Walk of Shame. <laughs> Brilliant. Isn't he? Yeah. And yes, of course she's taken the film. Yeah. See, that's Egyptian as well. So he may not have known about the blown gasket head, but he can speak a little bit yeah. Egyptian. And um, basically now he's going to get laughed at. Uh, All the locals the whole are, are laughing. Of people. Yeah. yeah, basically the whole village have down on the bank, banks of the Nile laughing at him, and he now looks even more overdressed than he did yeah. before. And we've just got some iconic walking. Some iconic walking, um, but the bow tie has now been undone. And again, I do do, yeah, the bow tie does get undone when I'm wearing it later on in the evening. And again, I'm thinking, Bond. So, so, so I've, uh, I've never been able to, put, able to tie a bow tie. Oh, I don't. I've so, got a clip on. Yeah, and then I have a prop one in my pocket to switch to. Yep, later on in that's the what evening. I've got. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's not just me. No. That, that, when, that, I, when, I, when I got the suit, um, I, the guy selling me the suit said, I've got a top tip for you. Two bow ties, one to wear, clip on, and later on, you go to the loo. Swap it over. Swap it over, top button undone. Yeah. This is really the only time we see Moneypenny as well. Uh, she doesn't feature much Earlier on, wasn't she? She, right at the beginning. Very briefly, when uh, M wanted to know where Bond yeah. was um, and told him to pull out. Yeah. So they've basically got a base in a pyramid. Yes, obviously. Um, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But Bond has walked in assuming he's going to see M. And General Gogol is sitting behind a desk. And it always feel, feels to me like he's... Um... <coughs> Excuse me. At the end was playing a little trick on him. Yeah. Look, you sit there. I'll go around the corner. We'll see how surprised he is. They should just be grateful he didn't play out his gun. <laughs> I mean, that's a very high waistband Bond's rock in there as well. Yes. I mean, I think when you're wearing a, a, a black tie outfit... Your trousers are a little bit higher because a lot of time you'll have them with braces, wouldn't you, as well? Yeah. So I think they would be a little bit higher. But yes, again, he's effectively Simon Cowell height on the but waist. Very there, much he? so. Yeah. So you, you've pulled a beer, Steve, while I've been rabbiting on. I have. This is uh, this is from Innocent Gun. It's their, It's called 15. And it's um, their 15th anniversary uh, limited edition barrel aged double IPA. So in at 7.4%. It's a celebration of everything they've learned about barrel aging over the last 15 years. The aromas are a marriage of, I'm not going to go into that because obviously we'll make our own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's give this a go. Cheers. Cheers. So we get a lot of gadgets. This is, so not only do they set up a base in the pyramid, Q, there's a whole Q branch here. <laughs> So the Q, Q is the name of the branch where man does the tech for MI6. And so the guy who plays Q, that he it basically became a nickname and stuck. Okay. It's Q branch. It's uh, His actual name is Major Brit Boothroyd. It's 
very woody on the nose, isn't it? It is woody, but quite coppery. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say that straight away. That's a really strange flavour. Yeah, I can't quite... <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm struggling to place it. It's like... It's, like, it's very sweet. There's, It's maybe like marmalade in there. Maybe almost marmalade on toast type flavour going on there. Certainly no bitterness on the finish from the double IPA point of view. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really getting much of the IPA aspect. Well, no, they've taken a double IPA and they've barrel aged it, so yeah. you're going to have essentially killed the hot the aspect hot of the IPA. Yeah. So at the moment, going back to the film, Q has been inspecting the film and um, they've spotted a watermark underneath. And um, we have a little bit of a competition going on here between Bond and Triple X about who can work out what's going on. Okay. <laughs> Which is amazing scene as well because he's still wearing the tux, possibly two days and counting now. Yeah. Clearly very, very dishevelled. She's all fresh, soured, no outfit, hair's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so they are continuously one-upping each other in this scene as well. So again, to illustrate their equals. Yeah. This is the best British agent and this is but the best so, Soviet. But- I want to come back to this Bond girl thing. So is she is she still considered... Because surely the Bond girls are traditionally a woman that ends up tagging along with him on whatever mission he's on for some tenuous reason. I, th- I think Almost like the Doctor's companion yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In, in, in Doctor Who. Yeah. But in, in this, she's not. She's, she's on the same mission. So she's he's equal again. I would say it's it's definitely a, a rarity, and definitely a rarity in seventies um, Bond. Um, although I think in Moonraker, um, I would say that she's quite a strong character. The one who he buddies up with in that one, she's a CIA agent. Yeah. Um, but I would still say she's classed as a Bond girl. Okay. Still say she's classed as a Bond girl for definite. Um, Bond's trying to be smooth here. Now, curiously, we were in Egypt, right? Yeah. They want to go to Sardinia, right? Southern Italy? Yeah. Yeah. They're going by train. So they're going to go via Turkey, the Middle East, parts of Asia, Eastern Europe. Okay. Why would you do that route rather than get a flight? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something that's, again, that's one of those iconic Bond tropes, isn't it? That they 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 global hop, mm. don't they, with, with the films, randomly going from one part like, of the world to another yeah. part of the world. And that was part of uh, what Ian Fleming wanted to do as well. And when they were making the films, they wanted to do it. Because, you know, when the films came out in the 60s, air, airfare wasn't for everyone. You yeah. couldn't necessarily just book a cheap fare, you know, whatever you might think about some of the budget airlines, you just couldn't book a cheap fare. It was the big carriers, it was expensive. That's why it was the jet set, that term was coined. Yeah. So yeah, but I would assume, yes, um, the train bit, I assume, was designed so that they could just have this scene. <laughs> Jaws hiding in the wardrobe. Yeah. Still wearing that turquoise suit. Yeah, but... Still clean. 
Come on. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. Unless he's just got a whole load of them. Well, he he was last seen under a pile of rubble. But he didn't have the jacket on then. Ah, uh, okay. Because he remember he was in his workman's uniform as... He's massive, isn't yeah. he? When you see him in the train compartment, because they're in sleeper compartments, he wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to stay in that compartment. No. I mean, he could barely get in that wardrobe. So I, I assume that they wanted to have this scene and therefore how do they write the scene will give him a train journey. Very much echoes of um, from Russia with Love as well. Uh, there's a, a, a fight train, quite a fight, a famous train scene fight between um, a Russian agent and Sean Connery's Bond. Okay. Which is quite quite a, for Bond film, quite a brutal There's scene. one in the last Bond film as well. Yeah. Daniel Craig fights uh, Dave Bautista. Yeah. On, on, on the train yeah so you know it, it's 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 a, a bit of a trope you yeah. can use the train journey thing but in practical terms you wouldn't decide to go from Egypt to Sardinia by train no not if the fate of the world was hanging in the balance and you've lost a couple of nuclear submarines get as quickly as possible also I've, I've just realised in, in terms of those two locations they're separated by a very short stretch of the Mediterranean Sea yes <laughs> you'd by plane it probably isn't that long a journey so it's a go yeah, or go by boat yeah. even <laughs> There isn't a direct train route. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, it wasn't filmed in England, otherwise they'd be on buses anyway. Yeah. I mean, this man just doesn't die, does he? No. He's, he's now been lobbed off of a train. And then he just does up his tie. Yeah. Dusts himself down and walks off. He just in for a quick bite. <laughs> Roger does deliver them well. Uh, yeah. He dropped in for a quick bite. Um, so, this was, this was Roger Moore's Bond plan all along. How do I get the Russian agent into my compartment. Yeah. He's had to have a life or death experience to do it, but it appears to have worked. So he's back to that bodily warmth thing, you see. Yeah. Keep out the draft. But a little bit of blood. Don't often, oh. don't often see, especially in those days. I mean, Daniel Craig now, he's bloody nearly the whole time, isn't well, he? Well, yeah, but, that, but that's just the thing with modern day films yes. as well. You, you know, fight scenes are sometimes particularly brutal and yeah again that's that's one thing that bond has been very good with in terms of moving with the times the, the way the films are portrayed are with the modern audience uh, in mind yeah, yeah. You, you know you expect now you'd expect bond to get a good kick in and not get up yeah and look like he's had a good kick in because yeah. basically that is still only one small part <laughs> yeah it, you know there should be some more evidence that he's had a fight yeah yeah. See, corny. What can we use for a bandage? Your nightdress. <laughs> you know. And now we've got this little romantic scene where they're on a horse and cart, well, presumably in, in Sardinia. And, and again, it's a, it's a stark change of scenery to what we previously saw in in the in the desert. Oh, big time. There's lots of colour now in this scene. There's lots. Of, it's a whole different portrayal, and it, this could be a bit more modern times. Yeah. This scene as well. Apart from his suit, it's a lot of beige. Yeah, and she's got matching I was, about, I was just about to say this is the scene where we first see the car, isn't it? So this is where we see the Lotus Esprit that you uh, referred to earlier. Um, after this film, Lotus ended up with a three-year waiting list because of the, the popularity of yeah. people wanted that car. Yeah, and I, for one, same as you, I had definitely had the Corgi version. Of yeah, there was a button, wasn't there, and the uh, the fins. The fins out. came out, and and you had those little Corgi rockets. Yeah, you could have the rockets that, that as went well. The back of it, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I loved it. I mean, it's not as classy, probably, as something like the DB5. Yeah, but 
it is such a fantastic looking car and it goes underwater yeah <laughs> you know it's brilliant look at him uh q's got an bo boac airline bag goodness me that dates it a bit doesn't yeah. it yeah yeah he's not impressed with bond's driving there is he he's not at all no so they're off to some swanky hotel by the looks of it boats up to the side a bit of a pool a lake this is you know rather swish probably very reminiscent of a 70s holiday scene yeah yeah i mean it's got the very open yeah arches and stuff Now, the actress who plays the receptionist, um, I had to check, but I was fairly confident. She was in quite a few carry-on films. Was she? Yeah, she was in quite a few carry-on films. Um, you know, and with that being too expensive, we can see why she's in this film. She's here for a few minutes only, and we yeah. can see why she was chosen to be she's, in carry-on She's wearing films. a very low-cut top there, yes, isn't she? with some frilly thing. You don't really get that from receptionists these days. No. They tend to be more... You probably... Brand. Probably... Those days you probably didn't get it either like that. Yeah. It's um, just purely for the Bond Bond film. And um, Bond seems a bit disappointed that Money Penny has booked two bedrooms in their suite. Oh. So, what are you thinking on this beer? Um, sorry, there's another okay. cheesy line moment. <laughs> well, that's all we're getting from you. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Caroline Munro plays Naomi, yeah, and she's been sent to collect Bond, and she's making the hotel receptionist look positively overdressed. She, she is as, as well, yeah. So she doesn't appear in the film. <laughs> Come on, that, that's another corny line. <laughs> Handsome craft, such lovely lines. He's getting some really evil looks from Triple uh, X. Yeah, you know, he, she's, she's, thinking, she's not happy. About she's thinking, this, look, we she, just yeah. spent the night together. Yeah, and you were quite clearly looking at the other woman here. You know, that is that's a husband and wife moment. Yeah. There. Um, but yeah, final thoughts on a bit. Well, I've been drinking it, and it's grown on me a bit. But I don't quite. I don't know what it's trying to be or what it's trying to do no. or, what, or, or why. It's it's more. We've had this discussion a few times on, on on various shows. It's more reminiscent of that original Innocent Gun that was was released probably ten years ago, where actual bar wooden barrels yeah. have been used in the process yeah, rather, than, it's, it's kind uh, of got rather than the oak chips that they use now. Some of that toffee, caramel, some vanilla mm. notes going on in that. Um, I, I think I, I think, think the double IPA is completely lost. Oh, in, doesn't in, exist in, now. No. That's effectively the double IPM as a base, and and that and that that part of it maybe feels a little bit gimmicky that they've gone for probably what's a really common place beer style now. Yeah, and and they've, so they've brewed a double IPA and then they put it into barrels. It is um, an odd one. Yeah. So going back to the film, she Barbara back wants to kill her there. Doesn't Barbara she? back as Triple X wants to kill Caroline Munro's yeah. Naomi. Um, interestingly, Caroline Munro was actually lined up uh, to be uh, a Doctor Who companion. Was she? 
in the in the fallow years when Doctor Who was no longer on TV, there was many a rumour about uh, Doctor Who movies, and obviously we did have one in the end with Paul McGann in 1996. But they planned they had planned another one, and um, Caroline Munro had actually been cast as a companion. Oh, okay. Now, again, that, she would have been a very attractive companion. It would have been slightly different to some of the other companions we've seen seen down the years, but. Because um, she, she she has appeared at uh, Doctor Who conventions just off the back of that. Yeah. You know, so she hasn't actually appeared in Doctor Who. She just almost appeared in Doctor Who. And that's enough for her yeah. to be. Yeah. Plus, like, you know, if you're going to a, a geeky convention, you almost appeared in Doctor Who and you were in Bond. Well, so that's an, Ticks a few boxes, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd be enough for me. Yeah. Um, so this is our first meeting between uh, Bond and our villain. Check out the collars on that shirt. Yeah, that's some big collars. I mean, they are almost down to his chest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and they're firmly starched as well. Yeah. Um, But interestingly, something that doesn't really get mentioned, you can't see it so much on the small screen, but Naomi said um, Stromberg prefers not to shake hands. And that's a bit more detail in the book, uh, in the screenplay for that one. But he's supposed to be because he's got webbed hands. Oh, okay. So he can't do it properly necessarily. That, but it's never really referred to why he doesn't like the shaking hand. So Bond, while we were continually rabbiting, um, did, sorry, did go to shake his hand, but he just crossed his arms. Yeah. So that'd be re- that'd be a really awkward moment in real life, though, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah. If you, you put your hand out to hand. shake hands and, and they, they go like, crossing their arms, yeah. Like, Ooh, this has got off to a bad start. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an uncomfortable yeah. moment. Exactly. So, so basically, Stromberg is showing him. You can you can see it there. A little bit, yeah. Just, just as you pointed, you just saw a little bit of webbing. I think you probably wouldn't have noticed if I had mentioned it. Yeah, you probably wouldn't get it. So he's basically like we do in the in some of the films of days gone by. He's starting to share part of his plan and his vision. Basically, he wants to create an underwater world. Okay. Atlantis. Yeah. Effectively, so he's got like a bit of a mock-up. The 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 structure he's in now would be the centerpiece. And all these little pods around it, presumably living quarters, things to to grow, to survive on. It's the only way for mankind to survive. Yeah. So that's, he's, he's already sort of done a bit of a, an info dump here. Um, which, you know, makes it nice and easy for us. Yeah. We know what his motivation it's, it's is. It's always nice when the villain reveals their plans for you. Now, these scenes that Caroline Munro um, recorded, she had actually been stung by a bee on her behind. Okay. So, apparently, she was actually in quite a lot of agony. Quite a lot of discomfort. But but they were set up to do the shoot. Yeah. So, she had to carry on going through it. She does look like she's got a bit of a pained expression on her face for quite a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think she was acting through it, so to speak. Yeah. Um, So, Jaws has appeared again. Even though he got chucked off the train, he's managed to make it to okay. the base. See, and Stromberg has basically just said, "Kill them." Yeah. So a bit, bit more of the Lotus driving around the. Uh, yeah, let's let's show countryside. Let's showcase a bit of Sardinia. Yeah. Because to be fair, they generally the countries they say they're going to, they are actually filming in those countries, and those countries probably are quite happy to to help out with that anyway. But they must have explored quite a lot of the world 
I reckon, in, actually, in, do you know what? By now. That'd be quite good because I remember years ago on Facebook you used to have a TripAdvisor app where you could like put pins where you've been to. Yeah. If you put pins where the Bond films have been to, it would cover quite a lot, wouldn't it? I think so. Yeah. It's quite interesting actually to think about it like that. So basically, we're in the Esprit, and um, there's, uh, I'm going to say another henchman. Another one? On a motorcycle, bizarrely with a sidecar attached. You don't see a lot of that, do you? No. Um, was it George and Mildred? Did they used to have a sidecar? Well, it was one of those 70s comedy shows which had a sidecar. Um, for anyone who is listening has no idea what George Mildred is, you have to go onto Google or YouTube. <laughs> yeah, to, to see that one. Um, it may not be to everyone's taste, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's now, uh, he spotted the motorcyclist, and initially he was able to get away quite quickly on the Lotus Esprit. Oh, nice. Wow. popping. Wow. Uh, when they were filming this scene, um, they actually had to deliberately make the car look like it was skidding more, because it was designed so well, it gripped the roads. Yeah. So I, well, I, I, I read that, and um, didn't they eventually basically get uh, because the, even even the stuntman wasn't able yep. to get it to do it, and they they got an employee from Lotus to just to drive it. Basically, the guy who came over with the car, and he did such a good job of it, they employed him as yeah. as the stunt driver. Now, how cool is that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that is good, isn't yeah. it? I watching More that on the big screen. You, I'm probably got invited to the premiere, I imagine. Yeah, and then he's going to go with that bit. I'm doing that bit. I'm doing that bit. That's me. Yeah. Um, so Jaws is now here, and he's just basically taking pop shots with a gun from the car behind, which looks a bit like a Ford Cortina to me. I was going to say that's <laughs> very reminiscent of a Cortina. Now, generally, a Cortina shouldn't be able to keep up with a Lotus Esprit, I would have no suggested. Way. Wouldn't um, even be able, not on its best day, yeah. would it get anywhere near a Lotus Esprit. Gadget. So we sprayed some oil on the car. They can't see where they're going. We've really missed an opportunity with doing Bond and gadgets. We should have we should have had like like shots of, of something or, or a drink every mm. time there was a gadget. <laughs> yeah, that could have been painful for, for everyone around us by yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. So um, as as you heard, that was quite an impressive little pop on on the last beer. Um, so again, this was one of mine that that I bought to this party. Uh, quite surprisingly so maybe. I, I was surprised, you, I mean, pleased, but I was surprised. Because this is a Saison Dupont Cuvée Dry Hopping, um, a special edition of their beer, complete with cork and cage. Um, and as the cork so helpfully tells us, it's the 2017 version. That's brilliant. As, as well, of, of this. So, um, lovely sound. Oh, well, that was from, brilliant. From the cork. Looks lovely in the glass. Cheers, yeah. Got nice frothy big white head. Well, this is a nice little moment. <laughs> so she's a she can fly a helicopter. She as well. can fly a helicopter and shoot at him yeah. at the same time while winking and, at him. And they've just had a nod and a wink at each yeah. other, and now they're going to try and kill each other. So yeah. Oh, the nose on that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. What? It's Belgian, eh? Definitely got those kind of notes, um, honey. But it's not. It's, it, yeah, it's, got, it's definitely got that sweet aroma it's going on. Floral notes going on in there. But it hasn't got that that, that, that farmhouse one. You know the, the feet style? It's not funk. It hasn't got so much of that funk yeah. going on, has it? All right, I'm going to dive into this. Yeah, me too. Oh, that's lovely. That's so clean as well. 
little bit wow. orange. Definitely orangey notes coming through. Um, Dominated by orange. Yeah. A little bit of maybe lemon zest on the end there. We've got to stop talking. Yep. He's just driven the car into the water. Yeah. And he's pressing a load of buttons and things are happening. So the wheels are now being hidden, so you push presumably pushing out any air and water. Yeah. The fins have come out. We we have now got an amphibious craft. Yeah. Not only that. Brilliantly. He's underwater. And He's got a little, well, it's almost like an early space invader machine yeah. coming up. Almost feels like Atari developed this bit. There we go, joystick, missile, helicopter, Naomi, gone. gone. Yeah. That's it. And didn't they, didn't they had a number of models for this as yeah. well, didn't they, to, in, in its various stages? Because obviously a car can't turn into a submarine and go underwater. No, because let's face it. Well, not back in the 70s. There'd be a lot of water would have been getting into that car already anyway, yeah. the way we saw didn't it. Top Gear once did an episode inspired by this. Didn't yeah, they? they did. They basically, And they ended up managing to get, I think it was Jeremy Clarkson's pickup truck. Basically, it was like coming up the beach in Calais. Yeah. Um, it wasn't obviously as high tech as no, we're, they, we're led the, to believe. The, it, was, it was this The submersible, yeah. That, inspired that because well, they would all have watched it as a kid as well yeah, wouldn't they yeah and you would be inspired by it so now we're we've got some sort of underwater music <laughs> um they're, they're inspecting um atlantis they want to have a little bit of a closer look at it i mean that does look quite cool still it does it does you know yeah you know the underwater scene the car looking in and basically they're looking into the makes it look enormous actually yeah presumably they're looking at some version of the globe doesn't look quite right from here with the countries, but well, because that's that's a warped, isn't it? Because they're looking through, out of the car through water into a warped window that's possibly very yeah. very thick because it's underwater. Uh, more henchmen, and it, he's no end of henchmen. This guy has he? He's um, obviously very wealthy. So they imagine henchmen don't come cheap. No, expendable though. Yeah. So we get this theme, which I think is actually titled like Bond seventy seven. Oh, okay. So it's actually got its own title. Um, some of the some of this music, which is, I would say, of its time, and appeared yeah, mainly in this so. film. And I think it is titled as Bond seventy seven um, when this sort of theme appears. It appears a few times during the film, like during the ski chase. This bit, it's got that feel to it. Still, yeah. still got elements of the original Bond theme in it, but it's been played around with, etc. But again, that's something they've done over and over again, isn't it? They have music within the film that always has elements of the Bond theme yes definitely and every now and again you obviously get the Bond theme yeah. coming up as well which I still love I mean the Bond theme is such a recognisable tune oh without a doubt now let's assume that MI6 have developed this a missile underneath shouldn't cause it to spring a leak that's a design flaw yeah you know um but suddenly, um, Triple X is now pressing the buttons. Yeah, she's, so, worked, she's worked out what the buttons do. You know, oh, she's worked, look, she's worked out where the landmine is as well. And very successfully too. I mean, that wasn't put together well, was it? The Henchman no. submarine, because no. a small explosion underneath it has essentially broke it in yeah. two. I stole the blueprint of this car two years ago. <laughs> 
Yeah, so she saw the blueprints yeah. years ago. So that's she, how knew, she, knew. she knew what all the buttons did. Yeah. Um, well, again, it feels like that's a little bit out of sync because when the car was going into the water, she looked shocked. Yeah. She, she shouldn't know. Yeah, she, she would have known. Yeah. Fully prepared for it. I know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, again, this scene is quite iconic as well with the Lotus Esprit coming out of the water, basically onto the beach. Yeah. Um, the little kid there pointing is Richard Keel's son. So that's Jaws's Yeah, son, Jaws' yeah. son in real life. So took the family to Sardinia on the set. Why yeah. not? <laughs> Have a bit of a holiday. Gross, eh? Yeah. Fell swigging from a bottle of wine. And he appears in the next two films doing exactly the same thing. Oh, really? He appears in Moonrake and For Your Eyes Only. Oh. So in Moon in Moonrake, I think he's in Venice yeah. doing it. And I can't remember in For Your Eyes Only where he is. But Sardinia and Italy appears a few times actually in the upcoming films as well. So they must have got some very preferential treatment or tax Maybe breaks. Maybe a deal or something yeah. for a number of films. So back to the beer then. I mean, this this is really tasty, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... You'd quite happily have this to yourself, wouldn't you? Yes, I would actually. Even being a saison, I would very much have, have, have drunk that bottle. Myself. I mean, it's very situation. I mean, this, like I said, it's but the saison Dupont, the beer we know, not the cage one, but just the normal, is a fantastic example of that seasonal beer, but how it was originally created to be. You know, created at a certain part of the year so that when they're doing the harvest, the farmers are doing the harvest, they can bring it out. Yeah, and you can see how this would quench your thirst. Oh, w- w- without a doubt. I-, I mean, you do get the characteristics of the original. Oh, yeah, Saison Dupont in there. It's all just a little bit smoother. Yeah, it's it's rounded out a little bit more. I'm trying to find the eight, it's six, six and a half percent. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's fairly light. It's it's an easy drinker, yeah, isn't it's it? very light. So, um I think Roger looks quite cool in black. This is probably one of his better outfits because you don't see the collars quite so much because everyone's <laughs> black. <laughs> There's, we've dropped the beige. She's wearing the sort of beigey look. Yeah. Now, oh, th- this this moment here. She's now starting to piece together who may have been responsible for killing her lover. Ah. Uh. Because he's just, when he lit a cigarette, he said, oh, I got it from Berngarten about three weeks ago when I was there skiing. Yeah. Again, this is an unusual moment for Bond films because you don't normally have the comeback for when you kill someone. Yeah. So Bond kills someone or someone dies in his presence. And it's Move it's on, done. it's done. On, yeah. That person is forgotten. And, and as we've seen, he gives very few shits about people that die around him oh yeah Did you, well you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah. I don't get you know. I mean rarely even checks yeah. to make sure they're actually dead but it's one of the few times when they have this conversation sort of appears and I think it's really well played actually this conversation Surely that has to go down as an awkward moment now. Yeah. Because we've, we've now possibly, these two have moved into some sort of relationship, yeah. haven't well, they? Yeah, they've got uh, an emotional connection because of the physicality. Yeah. And basically she's just found out the, the man that she did love previously, who had died as part of a mission. Who she got over very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is one of those moments where the backdrop doesn't look quite so good. Yeah. 
And I love the way that they're, they're being winched out of a helicopter together. Tied together. And Bond's just sort of grinning. Bond's chuffed about it and she's like, I'd rather be anywhere else than here right yeah. now. So credit where credit's due, she's going to see out the mission first of all and then she's going to kill him. Okay. Again, this is another moment which probably wouldn't happen now either. So the shampoo hair moment yeah. <laughs> where she flicks the hair back. And then the uh, the commander goes, <laughs> I didn't expect you to be a woman. <laughs> now, does his voice seem familiar to you? Were you a Thunderbirds fan as a child? I watched it, but I wouldn't have said oh. I was a fan. I wouldn't have. May not surprise you to know that I was. Um, he voiced Scott Tracy. Okay. I, I didn't, I wouldn't have got that. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard his voice, I knew there was something familiar yeah. when I heard it, but obviously your access to finding information back in yeah. the 70s. Now, we've got a bit of a side-on of, of Major. A bit of an accidental nudity going on Yeah, here, so the there? shower curtain doesn't quite meet in the middle, yeah. and the guy who has come, the subordinate who's coming to see the captain, his eyes had almost physically popped out of his head. Yeah. And the line from uh, the Navy commanders, have you never seen a Major take a shower before? <laughs> so I thought it was quite a good way of doing it, yeah. actually. Um but yeah, that was, you know, again, that bit of a 70s titillation, for want of a better phrase, yeah. which I think probably still happens now, but would be done very differently. Yeah, I'd, it's almost like you didn't need that bit. Oh, no, it didn't need to be needed. It, it, it was there, I, I can never make up my mind whether it's there for the titillation or the comedy value for the guy, the subordinate yeah. who comes in. But I'm not sure it lands on either side of it. No, because, I mean... You certainly wouldn't get that in a Bond film now. I mean, you do still get, you know, the women in bikinis yeah. and the rest of it. You wouldn't get you wouldn't get that kind of scene, no, I don't think. No. And also, I suppose these days, a woman on a submarine or any form of uh, armed forces is less of a shock these days. Yeah, I mean, that that's something that I found quite stand out about this right from the beginning. Actually, is that we've got. Uh, a female lead that right at the beginning she was in a Russian army uniform yeah I, I would have thought in the 70s that just wouldn't have happened possibly that, you have to admit I don't, I don't know actually really don't know but I suppose in the secret service you would deploy women we've already seen I mean she caught out Bond just by initially pretending to quite like him and then jogged yeah, him yeah yeah um, and isn't there that film recently with um, Jennifer Lawrence, Red Sparrow? Yes, the, yeah, that talks about. I mean, you know, and we go back to the First World War, and I think, um, what's the name of that famous woman who was uh, Matahari? I think she was a famous spy. Yeah. Um, well, even from, from our other world of geekdom, Black Widow. Yeah. She, she was a trained Russian assassin. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the bits when we've seen her doing those other bits or the flashbacks, it has been, some of it has been using her, her feminine looks, wiles yeah, and yeah. her looks. People thinking that's all there is about yeah. her. But actually, no, I can, I can kill you with my, up my high heels yeah. kind of thing. Now, we've got another icon, iconic scene where we've got this great big oil tanker that's essentially, it's just opened up the front of the ship and it's going to swallow a submarine. Yeah, I mean, it does look enormous. It does, but I've never quite understood how this works. Surely the ship would sink. It was designed um, as a catamaran. And obviously a catamaran has the raised yeah, right, raised bit yeah. with the bit still going 
going through the water. Yeah. So it was done as a hybrid oil tanker versus a catamaran. But a lot of the tanker shots is a real tanker. Is uh, it? it was owned by Shell yeah. at the time um, and held a vast, basically it was a vast quantity of oil, so yeah. ship oil around. Um, but yeah, it was, it was done as a catamaran kind of design because yes, otherwise you are just going to... The minute you open up part of the bow of the ship... With water rushing in... It's ship's gonna, going down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a natural occurrence. Yeah. Um, so, were they intending to get caught here? Or were they no, spying on my, the ship? Yeah, my feel is that they were tracking the ship to find out what was going on, but the tables have been turned on them. And they've actually been caught. The whole, the whole system has been taken down by the Icarus, which is the tanker. Um, and now Stromberg is going to have a third submarine for his collection. Okay. Um, and Do we know why he's collecting submarines at this we, point? We will soon. But notice the colour coding. The baddies are all in red. So everyone who works for Stromberg is in red. Just like a slightly unusual colour. And, and, and Stromberg is wearing a grey suit, which is very reminiscent of uh, Mike Myers. Yes, so I, I, I think you can probably quite safely say, let's face it, Austin Mike Myers, Powers. Austin Powers' <laughs> films were a complete homage slash send-up of the modern yeah. genre of films. Maybe a little bit of Man from Uncle thrown in there as well. Yeah. Um, and yes, he's wearing that very bland grey suit. Gray suit. Yeah. Um, and again, other other villains in Bond have been known to wear similar kind of outfits. So they're not going to give them smart. Yeah. Going to make sure, but you're distinctly different. No one else is going to wear grey. We've seen in this film, but Grey doesn't feature. <laughs> so all of his henchmen, bar one, um, is wearing red. Yeah. So they're going to be easily identifiable during the film. Is that the whole uh, Star Trek red shirt thing? I've always thought that in the Bond films, um, it's to make sure it's, again, nice and easy when we come to the climax of the film, that who are the bad guys and who are the good guys. Basically, we've colour-coded them. Okay, so we, we know when the red ones are falling all over the place. The bad guys are losing at that yeah. point. At the moment, the bad guys are well on top. Yeah. Because you obviously you couldn't have them in dark, which is often what they would be, because of all the naval uniforms being on display here. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow they're going to try and keep Triple um, X not hidden and not noticeable. But she's a woman. Yeah. So she's done that classic trick of putting her hair under a cap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who thought that naming it the USS Wayne was a good idea? No idea. No, no offence to you, Wayne, but I just wouldn't name a ship after you, mate. There's, yeah, there's, that's a strange one. Um, do you remember those type of cameras? Boots used to have them. Boots and Woolworths. They were like spiky balls on the ceiling, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. They looked yeah. actually really futuristic, didn't yeah. they? I mean, obviously, we now have little unobtrusive cameras, but this was very obviously a camera yeah. going around scanning everything. And again does play a, it's there for a plot it's a, a bit of a plot device later okay. on as well but yeah see Stromberg gadgets little screen buttons he loves it <laughs> whoops cover blown she's, she's got a good right hand on her as well hasn't yeah she? yeah I mean but cover's definitely blown yeah the cap's off she's got long hair she's a woman Oh dear. Oh look, and Stromberg spotted them. Spotted them, yeah. So, bring them to me. Um, well, we both almost drained that. I mean, that that was lovely. That that was really, really enjoyable. So obviously, uh, you know, now as Stromberg had ordered, Bond has been taken with Triple X to see him and 
going back to the thing I said earlier about everyone being in red, it's quite clear who are the baddies and who are the yeah. good ones because they, they've, they've colour-coded it for us. We get info dump number two. Okay, so we're going to find out his evil plan. Yep. He seems to have his own admiral as well. Yes, yes. He's the only other person not wearing red. Yeah. But he's got some sort of naval uniform as well. So we're, um, we're getting another beer. Uh, what's, what's up next? So I'm pouring the um, beer called Heavy Fuel, a smoked breakfast pail coming in at 5, 5.3%. This is a collaboration between Hasbeen, their coffee roasters. Yep. Um, they're also behind uh, their fellow podcasters as well. They do the beer boards reviews once a week. Yep. Um, short and succinct, unless Gary's on there with Roland, in which case it's not always short and succinct. Stephen Roland and Gary. Yep. Um, and this was done in collaboration with Weird Beard for the Uppers and Downers Festival. Okay, now Weird Beard and Hasbeen have got a long relationship. Yeah. Where they've worked together quite a lot, haven't they? Yes, they have. They've done, they have done other beers together. Normally dark, though. Yeah, and, and I think this is what they... Because I remember Roland talking about it. They were trying to do something a bit different so that it maybe challenged the expectations. Yep. So smoked breakfast pail, coffee roasters, beer. Now I uh, I have had it. So full disclosure, I've had this before because I ordered it in for the work beer tasting. Okay. So by on the nose, it's just coffee for me. So by the fact that it's a smoked breakfast pail, are you not getting any of the smoky notes? Hint. I think those smoky notes are there. Of of they so. so with the smoke, do they basically go in for like a bacon and coffee type? Yeah, thing? that's that's how I felt they were going for. So that's again those aromas from a uh, somewhere in the morning, with almost like the, the the as if you could see it. Yeah, your 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 bacon, your wood, all that kind of stuff. That's what I felt like they were trying to trying to achieve. Let's give it a taste. So he's sending the submarines out. Tell me why. Yeah. So basically, the yeah, we we talked over his major info dump, which is basically the captured Russian and British submarines which happened earlier in the film and the reason why Bond and Triple X were tracking them in the first place is because they're basically going to fire on uh, missiles the US, uh, the British one is going to fire at Moscow and I think the uh, the Russian one is going to fire at Washington okay but they've also got an American one uh, the American one wasn't in, uh, was a much smaller one, and they've only just captured that one, so okay. they weren't part of the plan. Right. So he's got the ones which were part of the plan. He's basically aiming to start World War Three, massive worldwide destruction, people dying everywhere, and basically the ones that are deemed fit to live can come and live underwater. Ah, so with that's, that's, it's essentially genocide for him to recreate the world. Yeah, it's, it's basically a Noah's Ark story. Yeah. However, at the moment, the um, Atlantis seems heavily populated with men, so I'm not sure how far this, this yeah, can go. Yeah, I mean, so far I've seen one woman. Yeah. Um, you know, and not to be too crude, she's going to be busy. It's a bit like the Smurfs. There's only one yeah. Smurfette. Um, however, Stromberg's decided he's going to leave his henchmen and his lead henchmen to deal with any problems that may arise. Okay, so he's left with Triple X, leaving Bond to take on all the henchmen on his own. But he's making a good start. Yeah, he's taken out three. Four. four. I said, it's, I think this is one of the films where he does get a bit more, he's a bit more active and hands-on yeah. as well. Um, but I think this is where he's obviously, he does 
looked the part a bit more. I think in a few of the later Bond films, he started to age a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially by the time a little bit less mobile. Well, especially by the time we get to to his last one. Um, sorry, his name is escaping. View to a Kill. He that was one definitely one film too many. Yeah. Um, and it's a real shame because I think it's sort of tarnished. And is he? He's still the actor that's done the most. Bond yeah, he films. he did seven. So I think Sean did. Six in total, including the one he did for with Never Say Never Again, which is basically a, a Thunderwall remake. Yeah. Um, Timothy did two. George did one. Piers did four. Daniel currently done four, and he's going to do a fifth. He, so he's definitely doing a fifth. That's what he has now said. Although he said after the fourth one, he definitely wasn't doing anymore. Yeah. Um, so he was quite derogatory about it as well. Wasn't I, he? I he, think. He was... Yeah, I think it's quite a grueling schedule especially for your lead actor because you're in it all the time um, I sus- personally I suspect maybe one of his motivations as a as an actor is that that wasn't the best film so I wonder whether he wants to go out on more of a high the- Skyfall was a high Casino Royale was a high Quantum of Solace not, not so, so much, much yeah. and and uh, the last the last but, one but there's so that much. whole thing isn't there with that that because I mean you asked me earlier what was my favourite Bond film and if, if you take them all my, my favourite Bond film and the one that I've watched the most is Casino Royale because I, there's just so many elements of it that I really enjoy but with the whole Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace aren't, aren't you supposed to take that as one film because doesn't Quantum of Solace literally start straight after Casino yes. it's, it's Although, supposed to I would argue that Casino Quantum of Solace um, is a prequel to the last film, Spectre. Okay. Uh, that's how it feels to me. Yeah. Um, so I think Casino Royal. Skyfall was a bit of an uncomfortable one in the middle there. A little bit uncomfortable, but uncomfortable in so much as it doesn't necessarily fit into this story arc that was developing, which we've never really seen before in the Bond franchise. Yeah. Um, that appears a lot these days and became evident once they started doing extra Bourne movies but there was a bit of an arc going through them um, I don't need an arc in my Bond films I don't need backstory you've already got all the backstory yeah. Skyfall you? if you just watch it as a standalone film works so well um, that that bit when he opens the garage door and the DV5 <laughs> is there I mean I almost stood up and cheered in the cinema I, I was in a cinema where people actually cheered and applauded yeah. at, at that point and it's a car <laughs> yeah I, I, was, I was sat there and I was like okay I, I get the passion but I don't get cheering at a yeah. film so <laughs> no I, I stopped myself but I had the same feeling as well um, and that little bit where he has the dialogue with M at the time and he flicks open the gear stick and it's got the red button for the ejector seat yeah and she dares him to use it you know um and who wouldn't want an ejector seat in the car? With all our backseat drivers. Yeah, yeah. Who wouldn't want it? So, going back to the film, uh, basically Bond, on his own, has managed to get all the other crews out. So he now has henchmen. He's got his own henchmen. He's got his own henchmen. Who are a little bit stupid. Aren't they always? Um, now, you see, this guy, I'm, I, I, his voice sounds like someone who appeared in a Tom Baker Doctor Who story, Genesis Daleks. The only reason I know that is because that was a film, uh, a serial that was put onto records, as in vinyl. Goodness. So I listened to it a lot as a kid, so it's all about the voices. Yeah. I can't find anything that pro- proves me right. So I'm, I'm going to carry on digging. Yeah. Um, but basically, they decided that they would just charge the armoured plating. And guess what? 
not working. They all died. Yeah. So yeah, but very, very British. Because they've essentially gone into lockdown mode, haven't they? Yeah. The, the bad guys here. The bad guys have got a job to do. The ones behind the armour plating are going to carry on with their job. They're going to make sure those missiles are still fired. Yeah. Um, but speaking of missiles, Bond's found another one just hanging around. Just randomly lying around. That's yeah. uh, a little bit clumsy, isn't it, of the, uh, of the bad guy? I suppose at the time, 70s. Nuclear proliferation and nuclear yeah, submarines, Cold War. Cold War. This would have yeah. been fairly fairly topical. People seeing missiles, yeah. just, you know, they were being moved around on a regular basis. So we're back at Atlantis. Stromberg has basically he slipped into something more comfortable, hasn't he? Yeah, but he's found something more comfortable for Triple uh, X to wear as well. Yeah. Now she definitely didn't bring that with her, and she definitely wasn't wearing that. No, she was in naval uniform yeah. with a cap. Um, so where, and right, I know that, you know, Naomi got killed. They look like, were they similar builds? I'm not sure, but it seems to fit her very well. well it fits her perfectly. But, you know, so he's obviously decided, aesthetically, Triple X is rather good looking. So, but I'm going to give you something else to wear. Yeah. So you look more comfortable yeah, so, so, while so, you're strapped. So when I kill you, <laughs> I, I can enjoy you looking yeah fabulous exactly it's like, it's like that that uh, that bit actually makes me smile yeah. actually it's like they've gone to the trouble to redress her yeah i mean she's just been tied to a chair <laughs> but i'm gonna make sure you look even prettier than before it's like ridiculous what do you think of this smoked pale ale i've it's, looked at your face a couple of times it's not really working for it's you just, is it I, I'm, I'm not a fan of smoked beer and, and anyway uh, um i think it's a tough one sometimes i think uh, it relates that the archetype of smoked beer is the Roush beer, isn't yeah. it? Um, I've had a few of them, and I can really appreciate what they're about. Do I love them? I don't know if I do, because I don't know if I want my beer to be like a packet of frazzles. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really not a style that's for me. I, I'm getting, I'm also getting none of the coffee from it I e- bet, either. This is probably, what, about six months on, so maybe the smokiness has overtaken it. Because it's very dry as well. Yeah. It's incredibly dry beer. I wonder whether it's sort of overtaken the, the coffee side of it. I mean, there's a there's a great pale ale in there somewhere. It's just, it's very much hidden behind the smoke. Yeah. And I think we can trust um, our friends at Weird Beer to do a they, decent, they, they, a decent yeah, beer. Yeah, they know what they're doing, don't they? Um, do, you, do you not feel that recently Weird Beard have become quiet <laughs> very, very quiet you don't nobody's raving about no. them nobody's talking about them which is a bit strange because when I do see their beers especially if I do see them on tap and I don't see it on tap very often I mean we, we lost it a little bit when the Vic in Colchester had a tap takeover from them yeah we, I think we drank all of that was available that night before we went off to, uh, to watch the rugby and drink rubbish beer yeah um, but yeah they don't I mean to be honest they only popped into my consciousness again on Thursday when we were in Dublin and I saw that Sriracha Red Ale advertised because obviously they are big fans and exponents that they, that they of Sriracha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I will I will give them credit here is that they're one of the best users of the Sriracha yes, hop, yeah. bearing in mind our, our mutual displeasure with that particular I mean, they've done hop. double, triple IPAs with yeah. it, haven't they? Um, so that put it back into my consciousness then. But other than that, hardly ever... I know, it's, it's really weird. Which seems a shame. Because, because they were almost one of that, you, you could probably call them maybe the first or second phase of, of craft. London craft yeah. brewers that, that appeared. Is it because of where they're based? 
I don't know. I mean, is, is it because that they're sticking with tradition and they're still going with bottles? I mean, they did they did put a few cans out yeah. early doors, but I, I believe that was mobile canning that they were doing. Um, it's, it's it's a weird one. It is. It's a coin of phrase. Um, yeah. I'm, with, I'm with you. I mean, I, I actually don't mind this one too much. Um, yeah, I'm not really getting coffee notes off it. Um, it's okay. I'm glad I'm sharing a bottle. I, I'll be completely honest. I would never have bought a bottle of, of it because of the, because of the fact that it said smoked on it. Iconic theme tune yep. has just started playing because Bond has decided using the uh, mobile camera unit, which looks like uh, around just an orb. Um, he's attached the detonation unit from a uh, nuclear missile. Oh, okay. Because that's his plan to get through the armour plating. Ah. However, currently he's within the blast radius. So he's a bit stuck. Yeah, and it was a 20 second fuse and you probably missed that bit because we were relating. Yeah, we were talking. Uh, So yeah, so. It's probably fair to say that our listeners are going to have missed quite quite a chunk of. Quite a chunk of the film. The actual film because this is another one that we've just. um, Talked over. We've we've spoken all over. Yeah, I'm assuming people aren't listening to it to, to get the bit about the film to be honest. They're just here to listen to us. Normally. Actually, when, just as an aside and it's a bit of a tangent, while we were in Dublin, we did get talking to a guy at breakfast and it turns out that his friends, who's, uh, they arranged for his stag, stag weekend, stag break, whatever you want to call it, um, they arranged for a DeLorean to pick him up because Back to the Future is his all-time favourite film. I said, well, I know a couple of people who've done a podcast about that one, <laughs> pointing in the direction. Always representing the brand, mate. That's what it's about. It's all part of the family. Yep. So, so next beer up is um, what I believe to be quite aptly named for this film. Well, this is why you chose it, isn't it? It's uh, it's called Experiments in Evil. Um, it's by Ampersand. These um, are a Norfolk-based yep. brewer. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a few of them. We've had a few of their beers. They've really come. I think they've come a bit more to prominence in the last yep. couple of years, haven't they? This is a and this is a whiskey barrel-aged imperial stout. That's just what I need after being at International Stout Day. Coming in at 8.3%. So, uh, part of our series of Imperial Stouts, this is our first barrel-aged release. Aged in Speyside whiskey barrels, we've selected the first edition from those that contain light, smoky notes. Expect a big beer that's deceptively easy drinking and has some subtle peated whiskey on the nose. So, continuing that smoky theme through to another beer. MP Stout at 8.3%. Thoughts? It's a little bit lower for an MP style. Yeah. It's, it's at what I would consider the lower end of Imperial. I, I mean, there may be, and so obviously listeners, feel free to correct us. There may well be a very clear technical definition and it may well be within that. But for me, I'm usually thinking double digits. Double digits, yeah, without a doubt. For, for an Imperial style, double, di- oh, double digits. Double, double so digits. The one that, the famous one that, was under the Courage label that Tesco was selling off a few years back for like a quid. Um, that was exactly 10%. And I would say for me, that's the starting point. Yeah. But yeah. let's get into it. Cheers. It's definitely got a whiskey nose. It has, hasn't it? And we've had a few snouts in the and last I've, couple of days. I've, I've tried this before. So this, I, this actual one? Yeah. I tried it very close to its release. So how's it developed? Because that nose has softened. I was going to say this. 
is a very because when they say space sides and you're I'm thinking those peaty whiskey notes, yeah. smoky. It was very heavy on that yeah, the first this time I had it. This a lot is more subtle than expected. Possibly six months on, and it's it's just softened down a little bit. So while I'm thinking about that, so Ooh, we're, the, we're, the, the we're at the point of the film where Bond has had a brilliant idea, and basically uh, between him and the, uh, the the naval commander, they had three to four minutes to work out the uh, tracking system and how to send messages to both submarines. They basically told both submarines to send the missiles to each other. Oh, okay. Cracking plan. So there's still people on the submarines, though? Yeah, but they're in red. It's fine. They're, oh, okay. they're expendable. Right. So the original crew aren't on there. The people in red. Just the, the henchmen. Yeah. Now, we to just signify that we've used nuclear missiles, we've obviously inserted footage. Classic 70s nuclear Yeah. Bomb I, I would probably say probably like testing from the 50s. Yeah. When they used to do it in the, in the, in the Pacific Islands, didn't yeah. they? Um, because they looked incredibly big explosions there. For, for what was a relatively tiny missile. Yeah. Um, and, and basically, it looks like the, uh, the, the large Iparus tanker is... Um, gonna go yeah it's blowing up now so, it's, is there a reason why it's blowing up or did, did it just start spontaneously combusting well you know they have thrown a few grenades around they have been <laughs> causing a few problems so but I don't understand why the whole ship is now going because it's quite big yeah some of it would be quite localised in places quite contained yeah um, but yeah so basically they've got to now get all well three crews worth of people onto two onto oh, one submarine onto one submarine and it was the smaller and it was a tiny submarine as well yeah, yeah. so um these boats are going to have to be up close and personal if they want to survive. Yeah. I mean, a few have obviously been killed off. You know, we, we've yeah, lost a few. There's there. bodies falling into the water yeah. everywhere at this point. Um, the, the guys in red are still trying to do a bit of shooting and stuff, but they're not getting very far. That's still really heavy on the peat, on the flavour. Oh, you see? I, mean. I think, yeah, so this is probably where, on, it's one of those occasions where we come in from a slightly different place. I'm, I'm, I've almost got sour face going yeah, on. Yeah, just for the for, for the benefit of listeners, if you picture back, if you cast your mind back to when we did the periscoping with uh, Steve sour faces, that is currently in evidence quite a lot to my left. Um, however, I sort of come in from a different place because I'm a, a a whiskey fan. Got quite excited by the range of whiskeys in one of the pubs we were in recently. Yeah, um, I think I had about a ten minute conversation about it as well. Um, and I, I'm at both ends of the spectrum. I do like those really nice. Uh, balanced whiskies that just give us a little bit of a burn they haven't got so much aroma going on but I'm also quite happy at the peaty side of it I'm not getting so much you see yeah so I'm, I'm just not a fan I'm not a fan of it yeah but if you're not a fan we've said it before yeah. the things you're not a fan of you'll pick up I, I prefer especially in, in like barrel aged beer and especially one that's been barrel aged in either whiskey or bourbon barrels I'm, I'm very much lean towards the side of I like the sweeter elements that come out of barrel aging so some of the some of the vanilla some of the toffee some of the tannins that you sometimes get you don't necessarily want the drink to come through that it was in no i don't i don't want the, I the whiskey or the certainly bourbon. don't want the peatiness yeah which is what um you know bourbon county stout probably does really well you you get a lot of those notes that you're looking for yeah without getting so much of I, I do, I do, I do prefer a sweeter, yeah, barrel aged. So. Yeah, but for me, um, and I, taking away the, the conversation we had about uh, whether it's imperial, can be classed as imperial or not, 
I'm finding this an incredibly drinkable beer and I'm not getting so much of those notes but then I like them anyway yeah and we've already said in the past your, your, your experience is heightened when it's one you don't like yeah go back to the aforementioned I mean I love the surrounding. nose on it I think the nose on it's really really good it's it's like it's almost like a little bit of a um, little bit of toasted marshmallow going on on the nose that tanker has sunk incredibly quickly now this is one of those mo- this is one of those moments where the special effects don't quite stand up now. Um, obviously, this bit is a model. Yeah. Um, but when they were standing on top of the submarine, the backdrop. Oh, it was obvious. Yeah. Yeah, but in the seventies, on the original film, it would not you have wouldn't. been by a long that's, chalk. That's what you were used to. Yes. Then. Yeah. Um, but all, I mean. To do those scenes with the tanker there and all that water, there was over one million of gallons of water was used on the set. Really? Yeah. That's a lot of... So I think they did actually have... How many pints is that? No, where's our, <laughs> where, where's our notes? Sean, where are you? Um, so we're back on the submarine. They have escaped. They're taking out Icarus, but obviously we've still got Atlantis and we still have our mad Stromberg yeah. at large. And uh, our naval commander has just told Bond that he's been given orders to immediately target and destroy Atlantis. However, Bond... He's not is, having that, is he? He's a bit concerned that Triple X is still on there, even though she has said once the mission is over, she's going to kill him. I, th- I, think, I think Bond sometimes gets a little bit blinded by his heart. Yes, blinded by something. I don't know if it's always his heart, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know... If you're being practical... You let them shoot both out of water and it deals with one, two problems in one hit. However, we have a gadget coming up. That's a big gadget as well. It's a cool gadget. And at the time, it's something you'll recognise straight away. It's a jet ski. Yes. However, this was a prototype and at the time the jet ski didn't really exist. It was called a wet bike at the time. Okay, so th- so this is actually the first of its kind. Effectively, Possibly. yes. And definitely the which would have been widely widely seen. I mean, yeah. we're all used to seeing jet skis now. But this would have it was called at the time its working prototype title was wet bike. And and it, that for all intents and purposes looks like a bike with its handlebars and everything as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what the obviously the starting point yeah. for it was. But yeah, uh, it was called a wet bike. And did you know that on the on the set for the Lotus Esprit, they called it Wet Nelly after Little Nelly, which had fe- featured in You Only Live Twice because oh. it was another gadget. It was a white that white mono helicopter. Yeah. They called it Wet Nelly. No, I quite like that, <laughs> but I would. So Bond has uh, arrived. Stromberg knows he's there. Red button has been. Pre- it's always a red button. Love a red you maybe don't want to get in that lift. Yeah. However, the shark doesn't look like he's been fed. Bond has spotted the floor in the yeah. plan. Um, oh, really? <laughs> oh, come on. Did you do really do that? <laughs> I did. I really did do that. I really did say it. It's maybe getting a little bit better as you go down the glass. I um, I, um, I, I can see where you're coming from. I'm just not. I'm not a massive fan of that. I'm pretty certain. But do you know what? 
you odd you say it comes at it's a bit better I actually got more repeat at the end no, that's the most ridiculous gun ever I give yeah, I don't know whether it's that I Roger Moore actually got injured in this scene did he because the bit which we just saw where Stromberg shot him and you know Roger dives out of the way he actually got burnt so for the rest of the filming after this scene because obviously scenes have been out of order yeah. for the rest of the scene he had, there was actually a nurse on hand and who had to dress it every day wow um, and then put cling film yeah. over the bandaging as well so he could actually carry on doing the job so yeah he actually he actually literally took a hit for the team yeah. on this one I, d I don't know whether it was a case of as, as it warmed or, or whatever in the glass or whether it's just that whole you, you take a first taste of something and you're not used to it but then the more you taste it the more you're getting used to it so by the time that you in you get to the bottom of the drink you're actually quite used to it yeah and also we we're watching the film at the same time yeah and talking so you're not concentrating on it when you first have it you're focusing on it aren't you as yeah. well yeah um so we're coming up for obviously uh you know bond is now fighting with jaws so as far as i can tell that that means bond should be losing well, yeah, because Jaws is a big bloke. Yeah, and every time he tries to do something, Jaws just sort of bounces back up again. Yeah. So I think what we what we need is uh is Bond to use his brain over his brawn because he's not going to make really much indentation into him. He's, he's not, is he? No. That's right. So we're going to finish on a can, which people might be surprised with some of the beers we're going to finish on a can. However, it's not any ordinary can. No, this is quite a, a special little can we've got going on here. It is. It? So this is uh, from Northern Monk. It's a barrel-aged quad. Um, and it's a raspberry and pinot noir, 10.6%, and it's a brewed in collaboration with legitimate industries. Ooh, now this is, I think I had a version of this at um, Dark City last year on cask. And it was the beer that I said for me was the oh, highlight. You did say that, didn't you? Of Dark City. Oh, that'd be interesting. Um, to see how it translates into a can I mean it doesn't really tell us much else apart from that it's a limited release um, you know they've done a few of these ones I think there was, a, was there a strawberry one or some, yeah. or maybe a different barrel the, well, you had me at barrel aged quad to be fair yeah I mean <laughs> what could go wrong with a quad on a Saturday afternoon watching a, a Bond yeah, film cheers. so ironically Jaws has now ended up with the shark mm. obviously no coincidence here um, because uh, Bond used um, his teeth against him. There was, bizarrely, a big magnet available. Oh, as, as you would expect. Picked up Jaws, yeah. dropped him in, and now Jaws is now fighting a shark. And he looks like he's eating the shark as yeah, well. Yeah, he's basically just biting the shark to buggery, and hopefully he'll bite him enough, and then Jaw yeah. Jaws will f f sail, sail away from the shark. And, uh, uh, I mean, it's not a spoiler, but we see Jaws again, don't we? Yeah, Moonraker. Yeah, so we know, but at the time, we didn't know to that. be fair, we know he doesn't die in this film. Yeah. But we didn't know he was coming back, but he proved so popular with audiences that they did bring him back. Unfortunately, in Moonraker, they sort of turned him into more of a comedy character. Yeah, because then he had that whole love affair with the tiny Swedish girl. Yeah, and it was like, and even at the starting of Moonraker, he loses, he doesn't have a parachute, and the he lands in a circus... He's flapping his arms. And again, it's like, no, because Moonraker is actually a decent film. Apart, I mean, Moonraker came out, is probably spoiling my little fact that's going to come up in a minute, but Moonraker came out because Star Wars had happened. 
I, I, yeah, I've, I've got that one as well. Is that that it wasn't supposed to be the next film, was no, it? No, and there was... this DVD illustrates that really well, and I'll point it yeah, out at the end because of because of the success of Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They won, uh, which was obviously Stanley Kubrick as they well. They needed a space film. Yeah. Um, they didn't need a space film. They should have just stuck with what they were doing. I think they realised that. Yeah. Um, right, you have pulled a face which indicates you're quite enjoying this beer. This beer is incredible. You, it's you're getting the raspberry. It's full on raspberry. Well, straight away on the nose. On the nose, on the initial taste, in the mouth feel. Um, I, I do just want to say actually that there's a, there's a scene here where Barbara back is. Looking quite, she, she's panicking. It looks, it looks like she's genuinely panicking, yeah. and that's because, by all accounts, she wasn't expecting the amount of water that shot down that tunnel. It would have come. It looks like it's coming actually quite forcibly yeah. as well. She, she wasn't expecting that amount of water, so she was actually genuinely panicking that she was going to drown. <laughs> and that's what she hadn't signed up to do. That yeah. But going back to it, yeah, it's, it's full on raspberry up front, so, so you're getting all of that straight away. And that's still there. It then begins to subside a little bit, and, and you get a little bit of the red wine coming through. Mm. You get the quad coming through. It's not overly Belgian-y. Uh, in fact, there's no Belgian-y notes in that. Well, I would say it hasn't got that um, with some quads, depending on its age sometimes. Sorry, I love this bit. It's an escape pod with a drinks cabinet. Yeah, and he's, he's opening champagne. Uh, a 1952 Don Perignon. Yeah. Which apparently means that Stromberg can't have been all bad. No. And uh, it looks like Bond's met his match. She's going to follow through on, I promise. Yeah. I wonder if that's where Brewdog got their inspiration from. Maybe. <laughs> Basically, the cork has just popped on the bottle, so a lot of champagne came out. Um, and Roger, Roger's been very smooth here. Mm. Let's get out of these wet clothes before you kill me. Yeah. She seem, She seems to have forgiven him. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. He must be. He must yeah. be a very good kisser. Yeah. Ultimately, because one woman has sacrificed herself for him, and the other one, woman who swore vengeance on the person who killed her lover, she's. Well, they're now under the bedclothes. Yeah. When was there a bed? See, it's a great escape pod. Yeah, it's got everything. Unfortunately for them, it also has a tracking device. Ah. Uh-huh. This is incredible, this beer. This is, it's soft. It's got those fruit notes. The quad notes are almost in the background. It hasn't got the, any of that heaviness about it. Um, I, I would never call that as a quad. No, the quad bit was really hard. The quad, I was drinking that blind. I think the quad is, um, sorry, I'm breaking back to the film. Uh, they've pulled the escape pod back onto the onto the ship and basically everyone is now able to see Bond and Triple X under the bed sheets. Yeah. And th- there are no clothes there. Yeah. Either. <laughs> but again, the music. What is because, that all about? So Bond does his little wisecrack at the end. Bond, what do you think you're doing? And he goes, keeping the British end up. And so we have then 10 seconds of a, almost a carry on type tune. And that's kind of segued into... To Carly Simon. How does that work? That's, I mean, that's, again, 
that time and the bit when they're in the desert in the van, those two theme tune, those two music soundtracks should not have been allowed. Yeah, no. Someone should have gone, no, do you know what? That's not the film we're that's, making. That's not in keeping with, this, it, is the, this is the continuity of yeah. the film. And the rest of the film, I mean, we'll go back to the start. Why did I choose this film? Because I think it's one of the best Bond films. It's definitely Roger Moore's best Bond film. Bit of a close run thing, I think, with Live and Let Die, his first one. But, ultimately, it's a fantastic film. But those little moments take you out. Yeah. Because when you watch a film, you want to be in it. They almost ruin it. You believe, you'll want to believe yeah. it. And yeah, have his, have his wisecrack at the end. Not that tune, though. You didn't need the music. No, no. it's no. just like, oh, why have you done that? But yeah. look at this, at the end of the film. All of the corporations that they've worked with have been thanked. Wow. Sony, Furs by but, Grosvenor, Canada. That's not going to appear on a film these days. The, see, the end of The Spy Who Loved Me, and then it says, James Bond will return in your, for your eyes only. So, so that was supposed to be the next film. Yeah. But they changed it to Moonraker because of the fascination exactly. with, with, with space. Yeah. So they actually switched around. Yeah, and and that's interesting because you don't you don't see that a lot in films now, but the one series of films that has taken that on board is our other love, yeah, which is the Avengers yes. series, which is Captain America will return in, yeah, Thor will return in, you know they've they've taken that on board. So and and again that's kind of still a little bit groundbreaking for for it for its time. Yeah, well even the even the prequels. Are. Yeah, but um. And, and you know, I, I know we've, I think you may have heard in the background the line. Whenever I see the MGM line, it's a Bond film. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's what you, you, you translate it to. Yeah. Um, so, final thoughts on the beer. The perfect beer to finish with. Yeah. It's it's absolutely incredible. I, I mean, I've been talking like I've done for a lot you, of films. You, you've talked. Constantly for two hours. Mate. Yeah, and no, I've even got more. That's, that's the most talking you've ever done. I'm not even sure I've done all the, the stuff I had. <laughs> oh, no, you're not going. No, you're not going through your list. No, there's no. one thing I want to mention. Go on. Did you notice on Stromberg's table when he had that salad before he got shot? There was a little bottle of Tabasco sauce. I did not notice that. Yeah, there's a little bottle of Tabasco. No. So even that had a bit of product placement on it because <laughs> I think he may have had oysters. Yeah. So I think that's something you do put with oysters and stuff. Um, but yeah, so I've been talking to. You, but you've almost drained. It's incredible. I mean, like I say, it's, it is first and foremost raspberry from, from beginning to end. That's that's what you're getting with this. You, you're getting a little bit of warmth in there. You, you're getting yep. some other dark fruits. You're certainly getting none of the quad. You, you, no. None of the quad characteristics. No, you're getting none there. of that quad burn. No. I mean, we've had a few quads on our times. I mean, uh, so one of my favourite quads would be the Straff Hendrick. Yeah. And that comes in at closer to 12. 11. 11 something. 12, yeah. Um, the uh, but it feels like it yeah this on the other hand does not feel like 10.6% and that can's probably got to be coming into a year old yeah so I because this is Dark City is in as we record this it's in a couple of weeks yeah and I ordered these back in February yeah so and, and like I say this this is probably a version of the beer that I had on cask at Dark City yeah so we're, t- we're talking 10 months to a year probably yeah that's to have held those flavours in that yeah that's incredible yeah um, I mean, having had this out of the can now, I would have been absolutely, as you would expect, I would lose it ex- knowing that it was a cask version. Oh, mate, the cask was, yeah, I'm not even so going there. I think you took a little picture of it as well, didn't you, with the, yeah. the glass? I, 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 think, I actually think that was close to one of, not just 
my Dark City beer of that festival. I think that was up there for one of my beers of the year yeah, last year. Definitely. So I think it certainly took my cask beer of the year. Was 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 that that um, beer? If it's anything like this, I can understand yeah. why. Um, but thank you, Steve, for indulging me for letting me no. do the James Bond. Mate, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, we will be back with uh, more opinions on films in the new year. Yeah, we have a long list. We're, actually, we've got a few more <laughs> films lined up. Um, the next show that you'll hear from us will be a slight variant on what we normally do as well, but it will be another annual special. Yes, because it will be the morning after the Crimbo Crawl show. And you, <clears throat> you may have some periscoping that day as well. There may be, and we've also been joined by uh, Beers Without Frontiers podcast. Yes, as, as well. So that's going to be that's going to be a great look back at the Crimbo Crawl and basically the beer scene in Bristol. Yeah, which we're very much looking forward to. I think yeah. I think we can safely say we're starting to get into that Christmas season. The days there. are drawing in. Yeah. We're in November. Uh, we're getting the ship. It's Halloween. The fireworks out of the way. We're coming up for Christmas. Well, we're just enjoying beers like this. Yes, and um, I'm going to carry on supping this. Me too. Cheers. Cheers.